Man, you come right out of a comic book. Cali Hustler, get it by all means. The people know whatever they need, they could call me. California hustling, moving and we muscling. And we don't fuck with the pigs like a Muslim. For the green we rushing. Welcome to episode 14 of the Film 89 podcast. It'll come as no surprise to you now if you're a regular listener that my name is Sky and I'm the editor of Film89.co.uk. And with me to my left is Hello podcast, it's me Neil Gaskin, back again for the second time on a trot, and with me to my left is the third and perhaps most important member of the Marvel Dream Team, inventor of the hacky sack, Mr Richard Roberts. Good evening, thank you for having me back. So guys, uh, this week it's been, uh, you know, we did keep things uh, quiet when we actually hit our one year anniversary, but then um, someone let the cat out of the bag on Twitter and... um, just want to say thank you, a uh, big thank you to everyone who's uh, given us, uh, you know, best wishes and whatever for the first birthday of Film89.co.uk. You know, the podcast itself has only been going since January, but it's just over a year now that we we actually started the website. Uh, we've had a tremendous response on um, Facebook and, and mostly on Twitter, and thank you very much to everyone. It's, you know, all your kind words and support is is much appreciated. Yep. Cheers, guys. Go back with that. This episode, uh, our main review is going to be Marvel Studios' 20th film, Ant-Man and the Wasp. We're going to be discussing our three favourite movie trilogies, and then we're going to be answering uh, some listener questions. So, a bit of a return to the regular format of the show after we had you know a few episodes which uh, they were a little bit different, wouldn't you say? We like to keep it diverse, we like to mix it up. We, we do like to mix it up, and thank you for everyone for all the great feedback following uh, Hayden's introduction two episodes ago when we did our first uh, episode of our two-part celebration of 10 years of the Dark Knight, and then also uh, for everyone who um, had positive things to say about the audio commentary uh, Neil and I did last episode. Thank you very much to everyone who listened to that. I know it was two and a half hours of Neil and I getting gradually more drunk, um, just just chatting shit and talking about one of our favourite films. But you know, it seems that you guys enjoyed it all. We've had even more requests now for audio commentaries, and we you know we're not going to do too many of them. We, we, you know, we're going to keep the format mixed up, but we're definitely going to be doing a few more and um, answering some of your requests and doing some of the films that you've asked us to do. Before we move on to you know the main review, it's been a bit of an interesting time. We're going to be talking about a Marvel film. Well, James Gunn. Is firing by Disney from Guardians of the Galaxy 3, and also there's been a few developments today in relation to that. But what do we think about that whole uh, nasty situation? It's a difficult one. I pondered over it since we since, since the news broke, and I think my initial reaction was not sort of being particularly well versed in American politics and not really sort of uh, following where it came from originally. Um, but I understand that um, it, it tweets by James Gunn from 10 years ago, whereby um, they were uh, supposed to be sort of joking tweets have resurfaced from Republican supporters who have tried who have taken um, offence at the fact that James Gunn is anti-Republican. As a result then um, these tweets uh, allegedly, apparently they were joking about rape and paedophilia and what have you and Disney's response was a sort of a zero tolerance approach and off he goes straight away. My my initial response was well you know Disney are in a very difficult position family friendly company what are they to do? They you know if they stand by him are they endorsing those comments? If they don't 
then uh, are they putting you know if they if they stand by him again are they sort of positioning themselves anti-republican are they going to come under fire for, in that respect um so initially i thought well it's not great because I, I think he's, he's a fantastic director and i'm a big fan of guardians films however i understand where they're coming from but i think as time has gone on and i've read more about it you think well look at so many people that are associated with Disney, for example, and their history and their past. It's not as though these tweets were ever kept secret. James Gunn has been very vocal about them previously. And you just start to question, well, actually, have, have, have Disney sort of knee-jerk reacted to it? Made a very unpopular decision. Now there's talk that, that you know, with mountain pressure, they're going to reinstate him. I, I don't know. And, and the story sort of rumbles on day by day. It's a tough one because, you know, obviously the subject matter that's mentioned there. What I will say... I just think they're bad jokes. The whole thing of jokes is, I've always said you don't heckle a comedian. If you sit in a if you sit in a comedy club, the best thing you can do is just to stay silent. Mm. If you don't find someone funny, don't laugh at them. In fairness to James Gunn, he's openly admitted they're not funny jokes. He was trying to be something. He was trying to be a bit sort of provocateur. He was trying to be edgy, you know, edgy. And he just came across. I mean, if you read them back, they come across as just. Oh, literally like the goth kid locked in his basement, didn't they? He was just said it for effect. Like you say, they're 10 years old. The fact that they were 10 years old and deleted their tweets is one thing we need to look at. I also, I've got to be honest, I love the way he's handled it as well. If he'd come out and tried to make any excuses, and try, he's basically just gone, look, 10 years ago, I was a completely different person. I was a complete dickhead for putting those on there. More importantly, 10 years ago, he wasn't signed up to Disney. Yeah. 10 years mm-hmm. ago... They had every opportunity to go and review everything behind, you know, the background of it before they took him on. Marvel accredited him for revitalising this. Kevin Feige was saying he was going to use him to sort of spearhead sort of Marvel's next sort of stage, you know, the cosmic stage, and he was going to be involved with that. It just all seems like very knee-jerk. Like you say, all right, maybe Disney are afraid they're going to lose some sort of political fight here, and perhaps that's going to affect their revenues. With politics, especially in America, you've very much got left and right. So if you lose the right, you now lose the left. Do you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? It's, uh, it's a dodgy, it's a dodgy situation for me. They, they were coming off the back as well of, of sacking Roseanne Barr, weren't they? Yeah. And Roseanne Barr is a, is a very vocal Republican, as I understand it. And there's been suggestion that maybe this was to show that they that they they aren't anti-Republican. It was a case of well, this is how we've treated a Republican person who's posted disgusting tweets, uh, you know, very very offensive tweets. We will do the same to somebody who's anti-Republican. So it's showing that they are being fair. Then that, that, that there's not one rule for one and one one rule for another. But I think the difference is you've got there, Roseanne. I mean, all right, yeah, and I'll not make excuses for Roseanne. I'm not going to make excuses for Roseanne. But you've got a, a, a sort of pensionable aged woman there who's a confirmed alcoholic, who's taking numerous medications, is taking Ambien as well, which is a sleep drug where people just basically take this and then wake up 50 miles away from their house because they've gone on a journey they can't remember. Mm. But she was kindly using that as an excuse, as a crutch. Mm. I'm not saying it's wrong, I'm not saying it's right, I'm not making excuses for her. The, the thing I liked about the way the gun dealt with it was he basically just went, I'm not that person anymore. Yeah. And he could have gone on some big tirade about... You know, oh, I'm a better person. This and that. He basically just went on more grown-up bloke now. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. <laughs> this news dropped. I think it was around about the 20th of July, and it was on at that time that James Gunny put out a series of five tweets, um, which were pretty much him setting out the fact that between 2009 and 2012, he'd made this string of you know I, I've got a pretty messed up dark sense of humour. Yeah, we all know, have to be honest. Yeah, I, I read those tweets. They weren't funny. In it, even in any kind of context, I'm not sure you know what to read them out of context is always you're on dodgy ground there. Yeah, anything read out of context is always going to be taken the wrong way. 
I can't see that in any decent context there aren't going to be anything other than really grossly inappropriate jokes. But they were almost 10 years ago, some of them. Yeah. And I see it all been yeah. deleted as well. Well, yeah, I think he'd closed the account. You know, I don't know the technicalities behind it, and but someone was able, obviously, to unearth these these messages, these or, these tweets. Or someone been hanging on to those tweets for several Possibly. years now. Yeah. You know, he's not done himself any favours by being so political on Twitter, and far be it for me to tell people how to lead their lives on social media, but someone who's in the spotlight like James Gunn has to be aware that if he's going to be firing bullets across the bow of people like Donald Trump and you know the Republican Party and anyone else he, he wants to go after who've got different uh, political opinions to his, which he's been doing in quite a strong way, then he has to expect some comeback. And knowing that he had those skeletons in his closet, he should have been a bit more careful. But at the same time, you know, if he wants to attack, uh, you know, challenge Trump on some of the ridiculous things that he says on Twitter, then you know, more power to him. But these tweets, it seems that they were no surprise to people. People were fully aware of them. I'm sure then when Disney took him on... Disney have actually come out and said yeah, they knew they That they existed. knew about the yeah. tweets. So it's a knee-jerk if, reaction. If, if these were new tweets, if these were jokes which he was making today, being established as a director uh, oh, who works okay. for Disney, I'd be saying, the guy's got to go. Yeah. From a corporate point of view, Disney have got no choice other than to make that decision. That's not the case, though. There's years separating these offensive tweets and the person James Gunn is now. The best thing is he could have done is what he's done. He's put his stall out. He's apologised. He said, I'm a different person. I've moved on. If you watch his Twitter account as of now, as of today, which is what, the, the 7th of August, the day we're recording, I don't think he's updated his Twitter account. He's remained silent. Obviously, you know, there's been this uh, you know, reaction from his, you know, the stars of his film, people like Chris Pratt and Dave Bautista, who have... You know, they, they've signed a petition or, or a letter, like an open letter which they, they've sent to Disney, asking that they give consideration to reinstating James Gunn because ultimately he's a nice guy, he's a damn good filmmaker, and, you know, another thing you can't ignore is the two films he's made for Disney have made over $1.6 billion. Yeah, and like I say, just to make that snap decision straight away. Like you say, if it was something he tweeted on that day, I, like you said, I don't know, in perfect agreement, to go back 10 years... And it sets a very dangerous precedent as well. Because if you look at Hollywood, I mean, Hollywood is like nothing better than to preach. And let's be oh, honest, yeah. 90% of Hollywood, it probably is liberal. Mm. And the other 99.9% of it, let's say, claim to be liberal. Yeah. I mean, you've got your guys like your James Woods <laughs> and yeah. your John Voights yeah. who aren't afraid to voice their opinions the other way. Yeah. But I think that's very much because, you know, when you get to James Woods' stage, you really don't give a monkeys whether no, you're working no. or not. Absolutely. Politics and entertainment don't belong together. In the same way it doesn't belong for Leonardo DiCaprio, or I'm just using him as an example, to get up and do some big political speech while he's supposed to be talking about his latest film. Hmm. It doesn't fit in, you know, for me. (laughs) So it doesn't fit in any any shape, way or form. Hmm. You know, if you want to get involved with a charity, if you want to help a charity, Hmm. if you want to help a cause, that's fine. I think a good example of it is, Arnold Schwarzenegger, when he went into politics, he put his acting career on hold. When he came out of politics, he, uh, you know, he started his acting career again. Yeah. The two, like you say, it's very difficult to juggle those two particular balls at the same time. I think what James Gunn now is, is going to have to do is literally just sit back and, and let the powers that be hopefully make the right decision. Dave Batista now has said that he's finding it nauseating continuing to work for Disney under these circumstances. He's he says he's asked Disney to let him out of his contract if they don't go with James Gunn's script yeah. uh, for Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Yeah. Disney have to play it very carefully. I don't think there's... I think there's, there's no two ways about it. They've made a snap decision. They, I think it was a knee-jerk reaction, like yeah. you said. 
And I think now the backlash which they're getting, it is kind of well deserved. Disney have got to look back at their own history. Now you can't talk about song, yeah. song, song of the South. Granted, when Song of the South was made, those sort of attitudes were nowhere yeah. near as objectionable as they are now. And I don't think Disney will ever release Song of the South again. I don't think that's particularly right because that film is a sort of... It's just of a its comment time. on of its time. Just like Gone with the Wind has got things in it which are, well, you know... You've got to look at it the other way as now. Like uh, Bobcat Goldthwait, you know, you're, yeah. you're one of your, the star of your favourite comedy. <laughs> now Scrooged, asked, yes. It's now asked to... <laughs> His, his voice gets taken off a Disney ride because, you know, he's a stand-up comedian. He's saying, look, I say a lot worse than that every, right, night, yeah. every night in the comedy store. Yeah, and um, a good friend of the podcast, Adam Rakoff from um, from Wrong Real, he you know, he tweeted out today the fact that, you know, Disney, they, they fired James Gunn, James Gunn for provocative jokes made when he was younger, but they continuing to employ someone like Tim Allen, who obviously does the voice of Buzz yeah. Lightyear, who is apparently a convicted drug trafficker who sold to teenagers in college. Yeah. And he finishes off his tweet is with... To err is human, to forgive, divine. I've got echo, echo his words completely And then there. finishes off with the, the hashtag rehire James Gunn. And as much as, you know, I, I've not made any um, statements about what I think of it. Um, you know, I've liked a few tweets in support of him. I, you know, I don't tend to talk politics on Twitter or Facebook. That's just purely a choice of mine. Just in case you ever get that directorial gig with Disney. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm voicing my opinion on it now. You know, I, I've kept quiet about it, but... I don't agree with with the decision Disney made. James Gunn is an incredibly generous guy, uh, you know, on social media. You know, I've engaged with him several times in conversations where you, with you know the likes of James Mangold and 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 Ryan Johnson, where you know he's he's, he's talked to lowly people like us, yeah. you know, about film and about his films and and you know just celebrating film. He's an incredibly generous guy with his time. I can remember a few weeks back he was waiting in the waiting room for a doctor's and said, guys. Hit me with some questions. You've got 45 minutes. And for yeah. the next 45 minutes, his feed was inundated with listener questions. He had thousands upon thousands, and he answered as many of them as he could. Yeah. That sort of personality on Twitter who engages, uh, you know, their, their fans like that, I, I think it's to be applauded. Yeah, and like I say, if you look at, like, what Batista's doing, I mean, he's probably the most vocal of the group, but for all of them as well, I mean, let's be completely honest, yeah? I mean, the one who's probably hadn't got anything to lose is Chris Pratt. You know, he can pretty much... Oh yeah, say what he likes. He's, yeah, yeah. He's he's you know he's the big. And he's got everything to lose because he's pretty much Hollywood's golden boy. But I think by the fact that he's so big at the moment, unless he goes out of his way to trip himself up, they well, go no, into. I I go the other way because with Chris Pratt, I mean after those uh, teenage choice awards where he's telling the, the youth of today to pray and to say, you know, I'm not knocking praying if you if you know if that works for you, that's great. But it's, it's dodgy ground to get religious and something like that. Yeah, you know. Well, yeah, look what happens, you know. T- Tom Cruise didn't do his career any good, I don't think, when yeah. he started espousing the virtues of um, Scientology, yeah. and when he, you know, he, he started just to you know behave a little bit odd. And unfortunately, there seems to have been a bit of a backlash against him. And at the moment, he's riding high on the success of an amazing, you know, Mission Impossible film. It's taken me a long time to come back around. I'll be yeah. honest. <laughs> but um, you know, you've I think you've got to tread carefully when you're in the public eye, like people like James Gunn are. But you know, those tweets were made years ago. He's matured as you know as as a, as a person and as a filmmaker. And you know, I really do hope that the Disney and he may not even want to go back now. He he may he may feel betrayed by them. He may feel that you know. I tell you what, I'll I'll I'll, I'll just take the loss and I'll go elsewhere. Well, you know, you've got to look at being honest. Now, if I was DC and I had that sort of property that everyone seems to mock, especially the man who starred in it. Well, they've already got uh, Joss Whedon come over. I'd be looking Green Lantern Corpse. Yeah. yeah. You know, this guy's got you know proven track record of doing sort of cosmic comic book films. So I'd be, uh, he would come, be have a chat with, come have a Absolutely. chat with us, James. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think I, I joked with you, didn't I, that um, 
we'd see Taika Waititi take over as Guardians 3. Yeah. And yeah. then post-Fox confirmation, we'd have um, James Gunn as the director of Deadpool 3 in a sort of triumphant return to the company. But now you're saying this, I think actually... Yeah. No, I think yeah, so. and again because he's been so quiet on social media, he hasn't tweeted since you know I think it was the twentieth. And that's another thing as well. You could take that as you know sort of like shameful silence. I take that as dignified silence. Dignified, I, I honestly, yes, I honestly absolutely. think at the moment he could be playing. I mean, especially if you look at the sort of the America is basically eating itself the political divide at the moment. You know. Yeah. And people are going to extremes. But if you look at the sort of more the liberal lean, and if you look at the, the people who are screaming and crying, not my president, you know, and rolling around the floor in tears when Trump got inaugurated, mm. it'd be quite easy now for Gunn to play to that crowd, be the victim, and get massive support. He's getting massive support from yeah. people who were just basically supporting him and commenting on it. He's not asking for it. The, the thing he's got going in his favour, apart from his success now as a director from two, you know, highly regarded films, you know, under the you know the, the Marvel Disney umbrella, is the fact that I think he is just so good at engaging with the public. Yeah. He's 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 gained our respect. Do you think though, I mean obviously it's, it's a loss now with Guardians Three. Hollywood it has a very short memory. Yes. And I think by this time next year, definitely within two years I mean, within two years, you know, Kevin, Kevin Spacey's back out in films yeah. now anyway, but they're films that were made before that. Yeah. But if you look at that as an example, within two years, this will just be yesterday's news. Gun won't Absolutely. be affected by this at all. No. Yeah, I don't think so. And, and what I would say, we're, we're talking about quiet dignity, is as much as I like Dave Bautista and, and I think that it's admirable in his, in his loyalty to James Gunn, I think he needs to be quiet now yeah. because I do think that he's not showing. No. Um, he's not showing that that airing your, your laundry in public kind of thing. And ultimately, he's under contract. He's under contract. If you've got issues with Disney over what's happened, then deal with Disney. Yeah. Don't be telling us what you're doing. No, but he's a wrestler. Yeah, this is true. This is true. <laughs> you know. Yeah, I, I know. I, I I don't disagree with his point of view. I just think that you could act with a bit more dignity. And 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 I think that you know the others. They've, they've made a statement they've all signed it that should have been the end of it from our point of view yeah I think it's probably a lot more to do with his political leanings than anything else and probably his friendship with Gunn as well let's be honest Yeah. but it sets such a danger and what I do agree with him is you can't just do this for the sake of what you think is going to look right what you think makes good press and that's what I think Disney have done here and this sets such a da- dangerous precedent now where basically you can ruin someone yeah you know, the, I'm not going to get too political. We could talk about it all day. The people behind this are the people behind the Pizzagate scandal in America. And if anyone doesn't know about that, go and read up on that. Yeah. And, you know, if that should prove anything, you shouldn't be taking this group seriously, basically. Yeah. Hmm. So, yeah, you know, hopefully Disney will come round, reinstate him if he wants to come back. So, other stories this week, guys. Um, anyone that follows um, a big hero of ours, Sir Pat Stu, Mr. Patrick Stewart himself, Captain Picard. Has, has put quite a lengthy um, Facebook post end of last week, yeah, 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 uh, which we've reported on in the site about his return to Star Trek. Now it's unclear in, in what form that's going to be. You've obviously got CBS, have got Star Trek Discovery, which is set in the old timeline, which is separate from what's called the Kelvin timeline in J.J. Abrams, um, you know, his two thousand nine Star Trek film onwards, including um, you know Star Trek Into Darkness and Star Trek Beyond. So those two properties, one, you know, the films belonging to Paramount and the programs which are run by CBS seem at the moment not to be operating in the same universe. Um, yeah, they've, they've actually said that they're two separate entities. Yeah. yeah, which that does make sense because they do exist in different timelines. I don't think I'm particularly, you know, I, I, I want nice continuity with my Star Trek like there's always been. 
one thing Star Trek's been quite good on is his continuity. And as we've said you know, before, one of the things we love best about you know the, the MCU is the fact that continuity in it is so tightly handled. How do you think, guys, he's going to be reintegrated into uh, Star Trek television? I actually resisted. I saw a story a couple of weeks ago and I actually resisted doing anything for the side for it. But then you realise resistance is futile. Resistance. <laughs> and I'll shut up now. I don't say a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but... Now he's come out and said, I mean, initially when he was hinting towards me in an interview a couple of weeks ago, he said that he may be returning to the role and I just envisaged there was going to be, you know, a sort of alternate universe or time travel episode of Discovery and perhaps Picard was going to pop up in it. I didn't realise mm. he was coming back in. It could well series. be that. No, I think he's actually, they've actually said now it's going to be a separate project. It's a Picard series, right. isn't it? A Picard centric series, which I can't imagine that it's going to be in the Kelvin timeline. It's going to be. 10 years on from Nemesis or what have you or some point in the future from Nemesis that's yeah. when it's going to be and whether that's I mean obviously with with, with him back we're, we're going to see a host of the original Next Generation characters back whether oh, it's going to Riker. be Riker or Riker he can't leave Star Trek alone can he he's going yeah. to be there well he directs episodes yeah. he, did a he does one, didn't he? Yeah, so. um, you know and, and, and a lot of the cast have, have um, starred in, in fan made fan fiction so they're all they're all not, none too far from, from think, Star Trek lore the, the thing I think he's got going against him to be you know back in the seat you know of an enterprise or, or an iteration of the enterprise you know they may well carry on with um, the enterprise I think it was salvage at the end of uh, Nemesis he's 78 now he's getting on he's an old man yeah it is quite strange because he's one of those people that I always think of as being ageless I know. and then you look at Funny enough, the picture you used, which I think was from Nemesis, wasn't it? Yeah, I think for it the, was. Uh, for the article. Yeah. And I was like, God, he has, he has yeah, aged a lot. Yeah, because if you look at him in Logan, now as much as obviously they could have made him up, because you know, he, he's, he's not well there in that film, mm. he, he's unwell. And I, I think they could have made him look older with makeup, but at the same time, having seen him, you know, when he, you know, he put, puts a lot of pictures of himself on Facebook and Twitter, he, he does look old now. And yeah. I think if he is going to be in any kind of role, it's going to be something like an admiral, a vice admiral. Or just a retired or yeah, retired. You know, I, I've got every faith in in CBS to you know to handle this you know in in a, in a decent fashion. They've completely surprised me. I think they surprised us all with Star Trek Discovery, absolutely. Which obviously we've spoken about on a past episode. I'm really looking forward to season two. Yeah. Uh, what do you think of the, the the recent trailer for season two with uh, Chris, Christopher Pike being reintroduced? <laughs> yeah, I think I think it's tremendous. So we've got you know season two coming up with the Enterprise, and I, you know I was really impressed with the Discovery. I, I watched it purely on the strength of the. Um, the early word of mouth I had from people like James Hancock and Becky Deanna from Wrong Wheel, who are massive Star Trek fans, and you know they sort of um, they put early reviews up and said that it was it was fantastic, and you know I gave it a go, and you know I think we all did, and we were like, yeah, it's mm. it's good, and then it got to a point I think I don't know five, five or six I think yeah. it suddenly went ah when they <laughs> when they went into the mirror universe then things kicked up a gear, and from there on in it was it was mid season break, it was yeah. when they came back, it was yeah. the end of the mid season break where they where they it ended with them being in the mirror universe, and then we had. But obviously, we we had sort of a four week break, I think, and that was it. It just turned around. It was it was absolutely tremendous because up until that point, it was yeah, this is this is Star Trek. This is you know it, it we've great, seen it before. It? it was a bit slow, but it wasn't it wasn't bad. It was it was just getting to the point where I was like sort of like yeah, this might be a one season yeah. deal. This might be yeah. <laughs> you know, that type of thing. You know, yeah. I thought this is going to hold a lot but of it, attention. It didn't pull his punches, did it? No, absolutely not. It was it was a, it was a kind of Star Trek that we've just not seen we before. F bombs. We had Klingon nipples. We had all different yeah. sorts. Of it was <laughs> yeah, it was it was it was a hardcore show. Really enjoyed it. So yeah. I've got every faith in CBS. Um, it's going to be interesting to see where they go um, bringing Picard back because he, he's just a he's a hero of ours, isn't he? Is. I'm, ho- I'm hoping 
uh, he's off the Enterprise. I'm hoping it's not a continuation. Yeah, I'm yeah. hoping it, perhaps a, a, the last chapter of Picard would be saying to that we'd be worse. Like you say, he is of a certain age, but you know, like most bald and distinguished gentlemen, he can carry off a lot, you know, a much younger look. Yeah. So he'd be fine. I'm confident that the, the makers seem to be they have the story at heart and that that was one thing to take away from Discovery was that there was a, there was a core story it wasn't just a case of right we're treading the old ground again with Star Trek and I, and I think that to do something which is potentially so controversial as in bringing Picard back I mean Nemesis wasn't the best ending for him however bringing him back 15 years later I think is a, such a bold move that unless they have got that story and I don't think he would be on board with it unless there was something which was going to be worth worth his time yeah that's what I was going to say I mean, he's, he's you know sort of confirmed he's not Professor X anymore he's not going to go back to that role and with the Fox merger now with Disney I don't think that's an option anyway yeah. to be honest but like you say he's got such a you know he doesn't have to rely on Comic Cons but he's got such a loyal fan base and he's got such a sort of body of work there He's one of the few sort of actors that seems to appreciate the the fan appreciation he gets. A lot of serious actors don't. Yeah, like you said, I don't think he'd do anything that would necessarily cheapen it. I don't think he's no. gonna, he doesn't need the cash. Is what I'm saying. He's not no, turning it for no. a paycheck, is he? No. Make it so. Make it so. <laughs> yeah. So, how long have you been Ant Man again? Not long. It just sort of happened. I wish I could fight bad guys like you. I seem to mess it up almost every time. Maybe you just need someone watching your back. Hi. Like a partner. Dr. Pym, I actually heard what happened to you. You opened up the quantum realm. That's when this crazy could be ghost who like walks through walls and stuff. Stole your tech. Now she wants to take over the world or whatever. Who would have believed that in your hour of need, you would turn to us? Not me. Because I mean, we robbed you. Do you remember? That's us. The only chance we've got is both of you. Ant-Man and the Wasp teaming up. Follow my lead. She seems more intense. go low, I'll go high. I have wings. Why would I go low? So our main review this week is the 20th film in Marvel Studios' Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's the, the first film following the cataclysmic events of Infinity War from back in May. So Ant-Man and the Wasp. Obviously it was back in, I think it was the, the 26th of April, we saw uh, Infinity War and the episode uh, aired a day later. Have you had a chance to go back and watch uh, Infinity War since we first sat here and chatted about it a few months back? Yeah, I've uh, done it twice now since uh, since our initial one. Does it hold up? Hold up? <laughs> it goes up a level. Wow. So it goes up from 10. It's it's, it's an 11 out of 10 wow. film for me. Rich, have you had a chance to rewatch it? I have, and, and I can only echo what my esteemed colleague has said. <laughs> yeah, I, I went to see it about two weeks later again, took my eldest son, and as much as it was equally as good the second time, I also had the benefit of seeing the seven-year-old's uh, heroes get you know oh, killed in don't. front of him and the subsequent reaction to that, which was just, you know, 
seeing a, a child watching have to cope with such uh, you know emotion and devastation it was it was just something to behold but don't, yeah he thoroughly enjoyed it he's again since watched it with me don't because I was sat next to my son and obviously yeah I'd lied and said that I'd not seen it before yeah so we could do the podcast and then it got to the he knows that Iron Man's my favorite and it got to the Robert Downey Jr. being stabbed bit and I felt this little arm go on my shoulder and he went oh dad I'm so sorry yeah, yeah, and my yeah. eyes started filling up because, and he thought I was getting upset because Iron Man. No, because I was just like, what a wonderful thing to say. Yeah, and then I, I thought, give him a little hug back, and I thought, you know, I've done well there. I've got a good boy there. Yeah, and then I just thought, shit, I've got the next five ten minutes, and it was literally <gasps> strange, <gasps> tracks, and then and, it and got that was to... when you knew that they were coming. Yeah. <laughs> and then it got to Spidey. Well, how did Zach react? <laughs> <laughs> and then it got to Spidey, and literally, I mean, he was all right, but I was in bits. Yeah. <laughs> That was, yeah, that no, was tremendous. It's a fantastic film. It, it, you know, it still holds up. And my personal expectations and going into this film were we need a bit of a, a light-hearted romp in order to sort of bring us, you know, back up from the, you know, the sort of downbeat ending. As much as I think the ending to Infinity War with Thanos just sat there watching the sunset, having like wiped out half the universe, is perfect. You know, I, I was looking forward to something a little bit lighter uh, and just a, a little bit different in tone. What were your expectations going in, Rich? Very similar, actually, and 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 I thought that I, we knew it was going to be self-contained, pretty much completely self-contained, apart from um, what we'll talk about later. But um, you know, we're going to find out what happens to uh, why Man wasn't there. We knew he was under house arrest. Sorry to interrupt, Rich. We keep doing this. We're going to be blowing this Spoilers. film apart. So, spoiler alert. Apologies, we should have said this earlier. We haven't spoiled anything yet, but. If you haven't seen Ant-Man and the Wasp and you plan on doing so, please turn us off now, go away and watch it, come back, and then you know, everything will be laid bare, we'll give you your full analysis. Sorry, Rich, go on. Yeah. So, what I was expecting was exactly what we had, really. It was a case of a very self-contained film, albeit with, with Easter eggs and, and sort of some, somewhat of a final link to, to what, what's happened. Find out what's happened to uh, Ant-Man in the meantime. Um, and obviously we, we knew the premise being a case of... Um, looking for the original Wasp. My expectations weren't, weren't overly high, and I think the reason for that is that with the original film, whilst I enjoyed it and I appreciated it, and I think that um, I think he's very good, uh, Paul Rudd is very good, I found it, the humour didn't entirely land for me the whole way. I think of the comedies that, that the Marvel have produced, the more overt comedies they've produced, Thor Ragnarok was far more my sort of, my sort of sense of humour. I didn't dislike Ant-Man at all, but it didn't, it, it wasn't... Um, it wasn't for me what it was for a lot of other people. I, I then my opinion of him changed within Civil War, and I thought he played an awesome part in Civil War. He's a very small part, no pun intended. Mm. However, then becoming Giant Man, he fitted within that team very, very well. So my query coming back that comes this was well, how is he now going to be the central character? Because for me, he isn't a central character. He's a supporting character, and I think it worked better that it was Ant Man and the Wasp. Because he shared the screen time and he shared the, the, the ownership of the film with her, Evangeline Lilly, as hope. I think, well, we'll come to my, 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 my overall thoughts on it shortly. So, Neil, what, what about you going in? Going in, absolutely zero interest at all. Really? Absolutely loved Ant Man. Thought, again, he was great in Civil War. After Infinity War, I had zero interest in seeing this film. I Literally, if you'd said to me, they're cancelling this film. It would have made a blind bit of difference to me. Couldn't get excited when I watched the trailers. Would have probably have not rushed to a scene if we weren't doing this. Came out, thoroughly kicked myself because I loved it. It was yeah. a great film. Yeah, I, I, I can fully see where you're coming from there. I've sort of set myself now a sort of um, safety net of expectation. 
I've, I've been burnt, burnt a few times with going into films with too high expectations. Even with Infinity War, I, I felt I had to control myself going in. I could barely contain my excitement for the film, you know, as I made no secret of. But I think, you know, for the rest of the Marvel films, I, I've gone in sometimes with, with very level expectations. And then when you go into a film like Captain America, The Winter Soldier, with level expectations, just thinking... Well, you know, you know, the the first film was good. It wasn't, you know, the best that, that the Marvel had produced. And then you come out of it completely blown away. And I think it is still probably my favorite MCU film, possibly my favorite comic book movie of all time. It makes you enjoy the film that much more when you go in and get your expectations blown away. Going into this film, I think I was exactly the same as I have been for a few films like Doctor Strange, Guardians of the Galaxy Two, just level expectations. Until I was sat there, that. Put your IMAX glasses logo came on and it was at that point that the sort of seatbelt was off and I was incredibly excited. From there on in for the next two hours, as much as I am probably as, as much a, a fan of these films as anyone, it's certainly my favourite franchise. I'm not going to hide my love of these films. Uh, you know, I'm a massive fan of Marvel comics. I've, I've read you know, years worth of, of, of the books. So, you know, I've got a bit of a background knowledge, which sometimes helps. Other times, you know, they do things slightly differently. And, you know, I think, oh, yeah, I, I never disagree with, with the way they take these characters, for the most part. I thoroughly enjoyed the film. I think it was, you know, a welcome sort of soothing balm after the devastation of Infinity War. And I also like the fact that, it, that the film isn't there just to set up future events in the MCU. Although it does, to a degree, I think, you know, the, the last five minutes certainly do. The rest of the film doesn't, and it just sort of exists in its own little universe. There are references to Captain America and the events of Civil War, but none of it feels forced or strained. It all feels perfectly they're, organic. They're almost, they're almost throwaway remarks, not in a sort of glib fashion, but they're almost throwaway remarks to hmm. Civil War. Because, like you say, it is a very sort of self-contained film. And a lot of the time during this film, I was... Do you know when we had sort of films like X-Men, when we had films like Fantastic Four and the original Fantastic Four which is not a great film. Yeah. But you had a certain standard of a superhero film. Yeah. And I honestly think, I went into it thinking it was going to be that type of film, that it was going to be almost like a family-friendly, mm. you know, no-edge type film to it. And to a certain degree, it is. Y yeah, it is. But, you know, and don't get me wrong, it's it's not, it doesn't push any boundaries. It's not like darkly black comic, you know, humour. It, it does, in, in some ways, play it safe. But at the same time, I've got to appreciate what, what Marvel have done with with Ant-Man. The first Ant-Man film should never have worked. Hank Pym and Janet Van Dyne are the original founding members of uh, their characters. Are you know they, if, if you mention to any Marvel Comics fan Ant-Man, they're going to think of Hank Pym. If you mention the Wasp, they're going to think of Janet Van Dyne. What they're probably not going to think of is Scott Lang, because Scott Lang is a later iteration of Ant-Man. In, I think, just prior to 2004, the events of Avengers Disassembled, which is still to this day probably one of my favourite um, comic book stories I've ever read. Just prior to that, they killed off Scott Lang's character because the fans didn't like him. They couldn't stand him. He was a dick. Mm. He was a total dick. And the way he was written in the books was even, you know, he was, he's actually quite a nice guy, in the, you know, a very nice guy in, in the films. He was a total dick in the books. They killed him off. For Marvel Studios to have the balls to think, we're going to make an Ant-Man film. Okay, great. Who's going to play Hank Pym? Oh, well, he's going to be a secondary character. We're picking the Scott Lang version. To have the balls to do that and to pull it off. And to cast Paul Rudd. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who's, you know, I like Paul Rudd, but he's not what you think of when you immediately think of superhero. God, no. Yeah. No, he's not. I thought the original film, it, it, it blew me away. It, it, it completely took me by surprise. I thought he then stole the thunder of 
much of the rest of the team in Civil War and provided one of the highlights of, of 2016 for me as far as films go. You know, I remember our reaction when he, t- he turned to Giant Man. Mm. We were gasping. We were, we were, you know, us Brits are very reserved in our reactions when we're watching a film. I, I think I clapped. I, I did something. You know, I let out I let a gasp of, of, of approval of some sh- shape. So to, to make this character work like they have, I think all credit to them. So I look at these films from that point of view. They shouldn't have worked. They have. So they're always going to be on a winner for me as long as they maintain a certain level of, of quality. And I think Ant-Man and the Wasp, like most of the Marvel films, I think there's a lower level of quality which they've just failed to dip under. I think the, the worst of the Marvel films for me, probably films like Thor, The Dark World, The Incredible Hulk. Yeah. You know, I don't hate on films like Iron Man 2 and 3. I actually really like them, although I didn't for a long time. I have, you know, come around on those. With the MCU, I think the reason why it's my favourite franchise, apart from just the fact that it's just such a good adaptation of, of, of Marvel stories, is because you've always got this lower guarantee of quality. You know you, the bare minimum you're going to get is a good, enjoyable film. And I think they've done it again with this one. They've, they've done a good, enjoyable film, they have. And I did enjoy it. I did very much enjoy it. I came out smiling. I, I, I thought, you know, I, I, that was a good two hours. However, it's two hours but what actually happens in that two hours to progress. I, I love spending time in the MCU, so I'll watch mm. anything. I think that that film was a very, very, very good Disney DVD sequel kind of film. Yeah, yeah. and okay. it's all, it, like I said, what I was alluding to earlier superhero films, it's almost what, if you said to me 10 years ago, hey, they're gonna, the MCU's going to exist, I would have thought, yeah, great. Oh, but Disney are going to make it. I thought, oh, they're going to do this with it. Yeah. It yeah, was, it was that type of element to it. it we, we we wouldn't have lost anything if we'd have had a, a sort of snippets. We'd have had a longer Infinity War, but if, we, if we'd have had snippets telling us what had happened with Scott Lang throughout, narratively, we wouldn't have lost anything at all. No. Don't I enjoyed that two-hour period, and I enjoyed what they did. Is that film necessary? I don't think so. I think what it does is it establishes right. their relationship. It, 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 it firms up on their relationship. But coming at the end of it, I don't feel like we have... I don't feel like at the end of this film, take away the, the, the mid-credit sequence, I don't think that we have Scott Lang developed any further as a character any more than what he was at the end of the first film. Yeah, I'll agree with you there. I will agree with you there from the point of view of Scott Lang's character, yes. He did. But then I think, are we falling into the trap of certain expectations? We are expecting him to take more of a progressive hero's journey, like we've seen Cap change from film to film to film in his ideology, in the way he is, in his role within the MCU has changed significantly over the course of you know six or seven films where he has been yeah. one of the, the main characters. Do we need in this film for there to be a very specific progression for him to you know, learn the hero's lesson, to take the hero's journey? And does this film, again, it doesn't need to progress things within the MCU because we fall into the trap of thinking that every film has, has to. to. Progress it, yeah. They don't. Not so much has to progress into the MCU because we know where we are. And what I really, what I really like, I love the MCU. But what I'm enjoying is that they've they've they're using the end of Infinity War as a fixed point, so that the TV shows everything is happening before that. So up until April next year, when Avengers Four comes out, everything which has come before is set before you know set before that point. So you know the Daredevil, all of all the um, Netflix series, everything. The reason why it's not referencing it is because it's happening before that point. Yeah. So it doesn't have to... We, we know where it ends. We know to what, to what point we are. And my view is that, that Scott Lang is a very, very good supporting character. He's as good as Falcon. He's as good as... But I don't want to see a Falcon film. No. No. And I think that post-Infinity War, 
2 or Avengers 4, whatever you want to call it, if we're looking at the end of contracts for the main players, we're looking at the end of contract potentially for Tony Stark, for uh, Captain America, possibly Hulk, for the main players, I'm not, I'm not going to at all for one second say that I'm worried, but the question is now merging in my mind... Who is going to be taking over from these players? Because Ant-Man isn't big enough. I keep saying it. Ant-Man isn't, Ant-Man isn't a big enough character. He isn't. He, he isn't. can be. He can grow to 65 feet tall. I don't know if you noticed that bit. I, 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 I point those. He, he, he is not a strong enough character to lead Marvel. I know that we've... You know, Kevin Feige's come out and said now, this I think in the last week, that Captain Marvel is going to be front and centre post-Avengers Infinity War 2. Yeah. Which is great. But we're going to need... And we don't know what's going to happen. But we are going to need... We're going to need better replacements for for the key players that we've got at the moment, and Ooh, and yeah. there's 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 trouble at Mill in um, in respect to Guardians. I, I do think there's trouble now with with that. Yeah. Are we going to see you know what is going to happen with Guardians? It's it's, a, it's you know it is the first time I've thought. Well, do you know what? Do you know what they could really do with X Men? Well, well, this no. is no, this is what I was going to say. When you, I'm going to come back to both of those, I might be spoiling your point here. So if I apologise, no, carry on. When you're talking about the hero's journey, I kind of like the fact that Scott Lang didn't have a hero's journey this because this film, at times, bordered on a little bit saccharine with the father-daughter relationship. Now, they were casting rumours beforehand that Avengers 4 had already cast a much older actress to play Scott Lang's daughter. Cassie, yeah. Cassie Lang, who later becomes Stature in the books, who's a character that has got the same size altering powers. I think you're going to see... Scott Lang's hero's journey in Avengers 4 as a result of what happens at the end of Absolutely. that which we'll come right. back to. Okay. Yeah. The other thing I was going to say as well, also with Janet Van Dyne coming back, she seemed to be able to have some sort of Newton-type she, powers. She's got powers. She's been altered. Yeah. She, she's, as she says, her body is adapted. She's evolved. Yeah. She's been subject of some rapid human evolution because she's existed beyond our normal realm. Yeah. Now, what I'm thinking is, I've got a feeling that it's going to be confirmed that Avengers 4 is going to be sort of 10 years after. Mm-hmm. I've got a feeling the quantum realm now is going to have a 10 year spread. There's going to be some sort of an effect and this is going to lead to certain people getting certain mutations, if you like. Right. You've just literally lit up a little light bulb in my brain. We have questioned on this podcast those images that were leaked from the set of Avengers 4, which yeah. showed, and I incorrectly, I think I said on one episode, that Doctor Strange was yeah, there. Obviously, yeah. he wasn't, no. It was Banner. It was. It was. Yeah. It was. It was, ba- it was. It was Mark Ruffalo with, and it looked like he had some sort of mocap gear on. So he yeah. may have been there as the Hulk. You had Sc- Scott Lang looking as he does now. You had Captain America clearly looking as he did in the Battle of New York in the Avengers in 2012, and you had Tony Stark looking noticeably older than we've last seen him in Infinity War with a different hair color as well. That's yeah. right. So, yeah. And he looked much grayer. So shield uniform. It looks yeah. like you've got an older Tony Stark, the present Scott Lang and a younger Captain America. Now, at the end of Ant-Man and the Wasp, Janet Van Dyne says, be careful you don't go into a time war. Yes. Or, or some sort of reference to some sort of time, time altering realm. a time realm. So, their workaround of how they're going to get out of this thing that Thanos has done is going to be time travel. The time gem is gone, or it's on Thanos' well, hand. They've confirmed it's destroyed now, haven't they? The Russo brothers have confirmed that the gauntlet and Thanos he's permanently injured really and the go- sorry I should have said this we should have spoken about this yeah I always put a story on today on the uh, the commentary for the DVD they yes, said that the god right. is uh, completely destroyed and Thanos uh, they didn't say he was permanently injured but they said something like it'd be very hard for him to heal now 
Right. Because if you notice the end of Infinity War, obviously he's limping and yeah. damaged. Well, yeah, he had the, the yeah. axe thrown into his chest. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that'll do it. that will do it. That that will make yeah that will be great because but okay, we'll go back to the books. Those gems have been destroyed several times before. They've been, you know, they've been scattered to the four winds of the universe. Various things have happened at the end of each uh, successive Infinity saga, of which there have been countless ones. I, I remember the, you know, one which I. I, I I can't remember which one it was, but at the end, um, I think someone got control of all of them and and destroyed them, and all of the gems shattered and disappeared from existence, apart from the time gem, which didn't shatter and it sort of evaporated because yeah, it exists in different time periods. And it, that was like sort of a built-in failsafe for these stones. As much as you may be able to get rid of them in some shape or form, you're never going to get rid of them forever. And I don't buy for a second the fact that the, the stones are just something that can be destroyed. There's some sort of intrinsic part of the universe which has been established. They were here, you know, before the you know the, the Big Bang. They, you know, they described the singularities, which yeah. themselves are some of the most powerful things in the entire universe. Great the Marvel are gonna set that up as a sort of way to weaken Thanos. But I again those stones are not, you know, they, they don't share the properties of anything like, you know, a normal MacGuffin that can just be sort of yeah. written away. <laughs> <laughs> you don't <mean> that. <laughs> but you know again that's just that may not be stuff that is you know they don't even call them in, in, in the books they're the infinity gems yeah whereas I, in the in the films I, they're the stones the stones yeah. I, yeah. I feel it's going to be not a case of Scott Lang being rescued I think it's going to be a case of Scott Lang finding his way out yeah absolutely there, there's, there's a reason why sorry there's a reason why she said don't get caught in a time round that, yeah. that is that absolutely is, it's, it's Scott yeah, it's Scott and 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 that was one of that was one of the things that I really liked. That was a particularly good thing because it, it it sort of gave us that little hint as to to what's to come and 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 you know with the ending with him being trapped. I don't want to sound like I don't like the film because I did really really enjoy it. But there's just certain things that I think it was a ve- it was a very very good film. And you said before about the standard that Marvel have. It's certainly better than Thor: The Dark World. It's certainly better than The Incredible Hulk. It's not the best Marvel film. But is it going to be a film much like? On my initial viewing of Black Panther, on my initial viewing of you know other Marvel properties, Captain where, America: The First Avenger. Yeah, not so much Captain America. I'd go probably more Iron Man Two. Yeah, when I've gone, that's yeah, all right. And then two or three films, or even the next film down the line, I've gone shit. This Wait. is why. And then all of a sudden, I've had a newfound appreciation for. I gotta be honest. Uh, I can't remember what did I score. Um, Black Panther. I think I, sc- I think I scored it a seven. I think you guys scored it an eight. I think I scored it a seven. Maybe yeah. One of the highlights for me for Infinity War. <gasps> yeah, we're in Wakanda again. Yeah. You know, and we, we've had this conversation a few times, haven't we? Where where we've said the Captain America, we, Skyler, we both really, really, really enjoy Captain America: The First Avenger, and we've both said that the, the viewing of it was damaged because we had everything present day in the build up to the First Avengers yeah. film, and then we had Captain America. And it was oh, it's, an, it's another origin story. It's a brand new set of characters. It's you know, it, it's the last thing we want now. We want the Avengers, and yeah. we're waiting for that end credit sequence. Then post Avengers, you rewatch that film, and actually, it is it is outstanding. It's so so good, and the exact same thing happened. With, and we said beforehand, we're so hyped for Infinity War that Black mm. Panther is unfortunately likely to fall by the wayside, which it did. Yeah, which it did. Not for you know the global audience, but for us as hardcore Marvel fans, yeah, it was like. Enjoy you, you've got it, yeah. Excellent. You've got a lot of motivation and a lot of so not motivation, a lot of momentum leading up to Infinity War. Black Panther felt like much like Captain America: The First Avenger felt in the build-up to yeah. 2012's Avengers. It felt like putting on the brakes. Yeah. Well, not not so much putting on the brakes, just putting an, an, an additional film or perhaps a, a, a filler that 
I don't need you. I'm, I'm wanted I'm stoked already. Do I want to find out about a whole raft of new characters when all I want to do is find out what's going to happen with Thanos? That, yeah. That's yeah. And I loved Black Panther. It was brilliant. But if you use Captain America as the example, then I mean, there's so many callbacks now, like Civil War, yeah, where like I could do this all day. You know, and you, oh. know, you just think, well, that's exactly, See, that's exactly um, what he's, you know, he's, he said is the youngster in the alleyway and stuff. Yeah, yeah. There's so much that sort of ties yeah. in. Like I say, the Wakanda end piece to Infinity War is absolutely stunning. The, you know? the, the difference now is that, that back then, we they were doing callbacks. Yeah. Right? As we, as, you know, they, they are doing callbacks, whereas now they're planting seeds for the future. They know that these are things are going to be used. Yeah. So I'm turning my own opinion around because I'm accepting that probably in seeing the next Avengers film, whereby I know that Captain Marvel is going to be set in a time period in the 90s, and I'm really looking forward to that because it's going to give us something brand new entirely, mm-hmm. whereas Ant-Man and the Wasp left me quite middling. I'm thinking that the conversations we're having, it may well be that, again, Captain America First Avengers Syndrome, Black Panther Syndrome, it may well be that certain things that are said become much more valuable, and there's actually a lot more to the story mm-hmm. that will become revealed at a later date within... Um, Avengers 4. It's almost giving you a little teaser of characters as well now. You know, for all you know, like Janet Payne or Hank Pym are going to turn up and ever. They can. When we were watching Infinity War, the one sort of major concern we all had was is this going to be Spider Man 3? Is, is it, it going to be, be an overload yeah. of characters? Absolutely. Yeah. And now you know that this film can work with 10 minutes with this group of characters, yeah. 5 minutes with yeah. You know, there's certain characters. I, I'd still love to see some of the Netflix guys, uh, Netflix uh, Marvel, you know, like Luke Cage have like literally yeah. like. Like even if it was like twenty seconds in a street fight or something, yeah. you know it'd work for me. Hmm. And I think the more they do this, the more you sort of almost accept the fact that, like much like you say, like that man's role in Civil War. All right, it's scene stealing, yeah. but it is scene stealing. Yeah. It's not film stealing. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. scene stealing. Yeah. You know, they they're building up such an arsenal of you know sort yeah. of characters here, much like the comic books now, where you could have people just mm. popping in, yeah. you know, or being vital for this one part of the story, and then they can just go off and do their own things. What we haven't mentioned how good they were, particularly Michael Douglas. Yeah, oh. I, I just think that he steals the film for me. He, I think he's so good, so so good that where you say you know they're balls to go with with Scott Lang's character. The, one of the feelings I'm left with is shit. I wish we'd see. I wish we could see more of Hank Pym as Ant Man. I was trying to work out, and if I'd had the time to do it, to rewatch Ant Man now because I think it's been over twelve months since I've seen Ant Man. Did Hank Pym have a bigger part in this film than he did in the first one? And I don't think he actually did. He just seemed to have a lot more to do. I think he did. Yeah, I, I, I think the actual. I think if you look yeah. at actual screen time, it's probably about the same. Yeah, but he just mm-hmm. seemed to have a lot more to do. And again, it was almost again to begin with. I mean. Michael Doug- I like Michael Douglas anyway as an actor. He's a great actor. In the first film, it was almost like, oh, Michael Douglas is in this. Whereas in this one, it was like, oh, Hank Pym. Yeah. You know, and it's yeah, that sort of yeah. Marvel effect again. Right, because yeah. they just sort of build the momentum yeah, with the character. Yeah. They're every taking time. time to spend time with yeah. these characters. And looking at some of the specifics of this film, one of the things that I, I just loved and thought worked perfectly well was the way the characters gelled. You've got that father son sort of reluctant father son relationship between Hank and Scott. I think the, the, the two relationships they nailed the best were the relationship between. Scott and Hope, which I just thought was fantastic. I'm a big fan of Evangeline Lilly. I think she's fantastic. I think she was great in this film. And as much as you wouldn't on the surface put them together as a couple, I do now buy them as a couple. They do work as a couple. In the original film, it was almost like that sort of one kiss scene at the end. You were like, eh, okay. But in this one, especially when they took Cassie out on the sort of the, yeah. the, the, the date, yeah. it looked like they were a little family. Yeah. It really worked, like, you know? The other relationship I loved then was the one between Scott and Cassie. Yeah. It's a few scenes, 
But I like the fact that Marvel are taking their time to show, much like they did in Avengers Age of Ultron, when we went back to see that actually yeah. Hawkeye, he's got a family. Yeah. And it's like, well, no, yeah, these are they're human beings at the end of the day. They're gonna, you know, they're going to want to have relationships and stuff. And some of my favorite stories from from the Avengers and from the X Men are ones where they those odd issues where they just spend time to get to know the characters and to show character interaction. Which is why I so much I, I love that party scene in Age of Ultron. Yeah. Just seeing it, the guys sitting down, chilling out, and yeah. being themselves around each and other. Playing that Greek game where they're trying to lift those hands. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you wouldn't you know, do that, would you? The you fact, would. Yeah, Marvel, you know, Marvel Studios know this property, what they've got. They know how to build momentum with characters and to get people. Because like I've said, and like I'm gonna to continue to say until I'm proven wrong, I think what happened in Infinity War was a massive feint. This is no secret, this is an opinion shared by millions of other people. For no, for not for a second do I think the characters like Spider Man, Black Panther in particular, Doctor Strange, they're not gone. Well, they, it's, they, it's, it's confirmed. Isn't it? It's Spider, confirmed. Spider Man, exactly. Far yeah. from home. But even you know, even when I came out with Infinity War, I still felt oh, this. Yeah, I thought the characters which have been killed off are characters which we know are coming back. The characters which have remained are the ones which I would have expected them to actually be killed if their deaths were going to yeah. be permanent. I think we're leading up to a point where either or. Tony Stark and Captain America certainly are going to be killed off. I think it's going to be more sacrifice than killed. Sacrifice, or, or they're going to become martyrs because they're going to be the yeah. ones that you know play the end game out, and they're going to be the ones that Pred end up. Prediction: Stark doesn't go. I no, I don't think he will. I think it's it's always going to be Cap because that fits in with his character, with the journey he's taken to be the ultimate martyr. He's a man out of time anyway. Whether whether it's whether they give Downey Jr. I mean, I know he's got Sherlock three coming up. He seems to be making a big thing out of that now, which you know you would expect him to do. And perhaps that's a little bit of a smokescreen. There's storylines in the comic books where he's in a coma and his intelligence gets loaded into like a Jarvis type thing. Yeah. I can see him using that as a feint for maybe a film or two to give mm. Downey Jr. a bit of a break. I think Iron Man. Sorry, Tony Stark, Iron Man, is a central character that I think you'll see for at least the next 10 years. He's, he's going he's gonna to pass the torch to Captain Marvel as the spearhead of the series, yeah. but he's, yeah, I think he's going to remain in some sort of advisory sort of role, isn't he? He's going to be in the background. He's going to be. He's going to pop up when he needs to, and he's going to be He's, he's going to be Nick Fury. He's going to be that sort of... Yeah. in Infinity War, yeah. having a family with Pepper. Yeah. yeah. Now, Cap, I think, on the other hand... Like I say, if Stark had died, you know, when my son thought he was going, to, and I gotta be honest, when I was first watching it, what I thought he was going to as well. Yeah, we all did. It would have been a big gut punch, and it would have been a hell of a shock, and it would have been incredibly brief. And it was perhaps a little bit disappointed that didn't happen. But I think in the long term, if I'm listening back to this in two, three years time, or even two or three films time, I'm gonna be going. No, they made the right decision. Yeah, I think the way Marvel have done it is constantly crying wolf, leading us to think that because Cap died at the end of the story of Civil War in the books. That he's going to die in the film and he didn't constantly faking us out like they have when they actually land that final blow is going to be so much more devastating and hopefully they'll do it in a way that can't be questioned and when they kill these characters off it's going to be final and i think that one of the main sort of criticisms of infinity war and it's very hard to find anyone who does criticize infinity war it was cap was given a bit of a short shrift Again, in that film, but and I think a lot of that's to do mm -hmm. with because he's got a lot more to do in the second installment. It's a, a two-part story. Yeah, it's a two-part story. I need to retract something as well, where I'm saying about uh, you know safe hands post uh, Infinity War Two. Obviously, I'm forgetting Spider-Man. 
you know, we, they're in relatively safe hands with Spider-Man, yeah. provided Tom Tom Holland remains on as Peter Parker. He's yeah. an excellent character, an excellent. Uh, and he keeps his mouth shut this time. He's yeah. already revealed that he's wearing the original Spider-Man suits. Oh, is yeah. he? Yeah. Oh, I that. yeah. <laughs> there should be a point with that kid where they should literally just lock him. I'm saying kid. It makes me feel he's probably a young adult now. And he, there should be a point with that young man. Let's put it that way, where they should just literally let him film the scenes and then take his phone off him. Tom. <laughs> Tom, give me the iPad. Okay, it's going to be in this locker. You can have it back tomorrow. And ultimately, I think, however they're going to go with these films, you've also got that thing there in the distant future of how are they going to integrate those Fox characters? Yeah. Yeah. Are they going to be using Michael Fassbender you know, as Magneto? Or are they going to be recasting? The we don't know. And we've got that hanging over this entire franchise as a sort of... Speculative rumour from one of my major sources, and they're almost consistently right yeah. is that Disney are going to recast the whole of the X-Men and I'll be completely honest with you as much uh, like you say Fastbender, and even if they wanted to go the other way you know, and have the older character the older actors play them I'm not faulting any of their performances whatsoever Yeah, I don't want to see a continuation of the Fox X-Men series now I want to see Marvel's take on yeah. the X-Men series I think after the after disappointment there was X-Men Apocalypse a film that I've been looking forward to for years as I've said before, Apocalypse, you know, when I was younger and reading the X-Men comics was my favourite uh, Marvel villain. The film was a complete shit show. Yeah, and, you know, like you say, we've reached a point now where Disney have openly said, this isn't like Spectre Rumour, Disney have definitely said, we want to recast Wolverine. You know, we're not going to go the Jackman route. Jackman doesn't want to do it anyway, but they've, they've laid on like, the table. We're not interested in tempting him back with a massive paycheck. Yeah. We're gonna go a new route, and I think if you're gonna do that with Wolverine, you gotta do that right way through, right the yeah. way through. The, the problem with with the with the X Men films, the Fox universe, is that it's so I've said to you before, it's so convoluted. The con the continuity is all over the place. We don't know yeah. where we are with it. It is at complete odds with the foundations of the MCU. It's so well thought out. The continuity yeah. is key. The story arc are key. The characters are key. There's very 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 few mistakes ever made in these films. That, that is polar opposite to what happens with, with Fox's X-Men films. They're all over the place. There's some very enjoyable ones, there's some excellent ones, there's some absolute shit ones. So the only way they can do it justice is for them to say, scratch everything that's gone before, this is our new take. The only casualty I see out coming out of this is Deadpool. Because I think that for, he's the only, he is the only hot property they, that Fox have as, yeah. a, as an X-Men character. Well, Disney, again, spec the rumour is that there's not going to be an X-Force film. It's going to be Deadpool 3. Having watched Deadpool 2 for the second time, I'm going to be honest, I quite enjoyed it, probably more than the first time. Mm. It still doesn't compare to the first one. I think they've got to just keep Deadpool completely separate, let him get on with whatever he want to do, mm. perhaps give Reynolds a little bit less creative control next Absolutely, time. Yeah. <laughs> and just that just doesn't exist. He yeah. can joke, he, and the, the great thing is, if he wants to joke about Tony Stark or Cap or whoever, yeah. like, there's plans to have Chris Evans doing a cameo in yeah, Deadpool there was, yeah. one there. You know, now it'll be a lot more an opportunity for him because he was going to come in as Johnny Storm, wasn't he? Yeah. Which would have been great. But, you know, I think, yeah, complete, keep that completely separate. I don't think, I think they know with Deadpool, Disney, as much as we've just said, player safe and like to come across family friendly, have just spent like 70 odd billion dollars. They've got to make that back. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and let's be honest, Disney have just spent 70 odd billion dollars after buying Star Wars a couple of years ago. Yeah. You know, yeah. The, the the expansion rate is so great now that they've got to come a point where you've got to you've got to start making returns on yeah, this. When, when they paid four point two billion dollars for Lucasfilm and they paid 
$2 billion in cash and $2.2 billion in shares, which I gave to George Lucas, shares in Disney. I thought, holy cow, they've just got money to burn. And now they've just gone and spent. They've got to handle this extremely carefully. They've got to make sure it works. And as long as Kevin Feige is there with full creative control, which there's nothing to suggest otherwise, then it should work as it has. Going back to this film, guys, some of your you know, valid criticism you, you've, you've thrown at the film. Is it also a case, though, that we're now so used to a certain level of quality that we're taking for granted little films like this that aren't universe-building? One thing you know, I was conscious of watching that film is the, the car chase. Now, the car chase in Deadpool 2, I thought, was poorly choreographed. Some of the effects looked shoddy. Yeah. Looking at the car chase in this, I was harking back to Captain America the Winter Soldier. The, the Nick Fury car chase being one of the highlights of the whole MCU for me. It's so well done. Everything's done practically. Much like the car chase in Black Panther, as much as it is, it's far more effects heavy. It's still got some, you know, it's got some great action. And I thought this film, that action scene in particular, was extremely well done. There were a few others. A lot of the fight choreography I thought was really good. A lot of the fight stuff I thought was... It was an improvement on the last film, actually, to be honest. Well, yeah, I think the, the point I'm making is there's a degree of polish to these films. Because we know they're MCU films, because they've all got this sort of lower-level sort of safety flaw of quality, do we then take for granted how good these films are when you compare them to other films outside of the franchise? Without a shadow of a doubt. And that's, so the one thing, I just to hark back to Deadpool 2, the one thing that did occur to me on the second viewing was it was actually almost shot for shot. The original X-Men juggernaut introduction with him coming from a big prison container. Yeah, that's right. And it, it lacked imagination. But like you say, it looks so CG heavy yeah. and so false and so plastic. Whereas like you say, everything on here, it sounds crazy when you turn them on, people turn into 65 foot giants yeah everything on here actually looked as if you could look out your window and see it you know yeah. like um, Aquaman is getting he's getting he's getting positive view positive feedback from the first trailer and I just watched it and thought it just looks like a CGI shit fest again it, mm. it's you know it looks made, like the end of Justice League it does it yeah. does and I just <laughs> think you're, you're bang on there you're absolutely bang on you know you know giant man coming out of the sea by the boat you know it, it's we know that, that that didn't really happen, but you don't question it for a second. It doesn't, as we've said many, many times, CGI effects should in, should enhance mm. your viewing pleasure of the story. It shouldn't be in place of a good story, and it shouldn't be there as a, as, as something in place of a plot yeah. point. It, it, it really works. It, re it really, really works in that respect. The bit when he sank, when he passed out and sank... It genuinely looked to the point that they had got a 65-foot man. And then they go into the trouble of following the physics as they would because when he was huge and then she shrank him down, it caused a vacuum and yeah. pulled all the water in. I thought, fucking hell. Yeah. They, their attention to detail is just superb. You know, the, the bit where he's riding the truck like a skateboard, jamming his feet in the ground to sort of stop it, he's pulling the tarmac up. I thought, you know, the the, the bit with the you know the, the Hot Wheels car and, and, and all of that, that, that car chase, it was really well done. And we're not being so Marvel fanboys here because A, we gave a lot of props to a DC film last Massively week. Massively so, yeah. You know, the one sort of thing that people could say is, oh, you've got three guys who love Marvel here. I'll fully accept that. But I can't think of one shot in this film. Where I th well, I'm going to say other than the giant dance. Which I think it deliberately, right. which I think it okay, deliberately yeah. made to look that way. I'm going to be honest. I don't think it's a poor. I, I didn't. I didn't like the way they were used and the sort of type of wacky humour. It, it was Honey I Shrunk the Kids. Wasn't it, it was. Yeah. I, I thought that was something that was. Whilst it made sense why they were doing it, it wasn't necessary. But there's, there's there's little bits of detail in that film that I wasn't conscious of at the time, and I've since thought back of the building that he uses, which you think he's he's got a regular building and he shrunk it down. Well, no, he hasn't, because that building was built. 
at normal sort of you know the size of when it's shrunken down because it's got a carry handle. Yeah, you couldn't build a, 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 it's, a 150 foot tall building with a carry handle. Yeah, in. he's not he's not jacking up the building. He's if you look fence. inside the building when you look at the walls, there's giant paper clips yeah, and yeah. and dials off like a off an egg timer. Yeah, they, you know, oh, right, forming part of the furniture. Yeah, because so, even even the countdown clock was the inside of like a that's right. Did your digital little details like that? Right. I've since thought. Hang on, yeah, I actually saw a giant paperclip wasp, and then it made me rethink the I whole have, thing. And they don't I make a point say, of saying, yeah. "Oh, Hank, um, you made that small, and you then you grew it big." Yeah, there's little things like that. But again, things which are going to show up on a second and third viewing. Moving on from uh, you know the, the sort of attention to detail and you know the polish of the film, what do we think of the character of Ghost? I think, again, one of the slights against Marvel used to be, and I'm going to say used to be, they don't do good villains. It would have been easy for him to do another naff villain, or it would have been easy for him to try and do another big bad. What they did was they took this in a completely different direction, and you had a mixed up villain, more a villain from circumstance than. Is, than she, any is, she, is she a villain, or is she just an antagonist? I uh, yeah I, yeah okay she's the villain of the story yeah. because of what she's trying to do, but like you say, she's not trying to take over the world; she's trying to heal herself. Yeah, you know, so you know she she spent you know. How many twenty odd years, maybe more, in excruciating pain by all accounts? It, it's going to mess with their mind. They make it quite clear that that you know that's who this character is. And if you look at that, and again, I'm going to keep mentioning Deadpool too. I don't know why. If you look at uh, the young lad in there, Fire Fist, is it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, they try to do a similar thing with him, where he's he's a good kid, really, yeah. but he's just like you know he's he's sort of like got this infection, if you like. He's mm-hmm. got this disease, this mutation, which is making him angry because he can't control it. This is going to lead to him doing this. This is going to lead to him doing that. If you look at a good way of doing it, you've got Ghost. If you've got a bad way of doing it, it would be that child. <laughs> you mean, yeah, you know, right. absolutely. Yeah, very good. I think you know they've they've not gone down the obvious route of part. Right, Marvel has had um, one female villain in Hela who was extremely popular. Uh, fans loved it. Let's go down that route again. But again, she was very sort of. Calm, she was very, very theatrical. Sort of theatrical. She fitted in perfectly with yeah. the overall feeling of Thor Ragnarok. Where well, she's, she was Asgardian villain, absolutely. Yeah. So you've always got sort of yeah. Whereas I thought um, Hannah John Kamen as Ava you know I wouldn't say she put in an exceptional performance but at no point did I think ah oh, shit you know this is another case of you know the, the character the bad guy from Thor the Dark World and no one yeah. can remember his name played by Christopher Eccleston where they've taken a good actor given him poor material and you know the end result is is just something that we all wish could be wiped from the MCU I didn't feel that with Ghost I like the end the fact that their motivation her. is to help her yeah you know there were little things in the film like the, you know the character of, of Jimmy Woo Played by Randall Park. I loved him. Absolutely. He was great. Him. I know what you say you had some issues with the humour. I didn't find that any of those scenes there were cringe inducing and the fact they were put in just to provide humorous moments. No, he was his humour was good. The addition of, of that character. His, his was character very good. was good. Yeah, that's, that, that was the good yeah. part. That's why the humour worked. I yeah, think, yeah. His, his character was very, very good. I, I was glad that they, they reigned in Louis this time. You know, we did have that monologue and, and that did tickle me. But there was too much of that in the first film, yeah. from memory, and I'm glad they reined him in a bit more. But I think it felt at times that that, that some of the humour was a bit too broad. I think I know I know some of that was levelled at, at Thor mm-hmm. Ragnarok, but I just felt that it, 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 it this was far more of a family comedy than it's far but it's far more of a family centric comedy I feel than the first one, and the first one is actually could be classed as Marvel's attempt at doing a family friendly film. You know, I mean, all the films are family friendly, as in kids want to watch them. But you know what I'm saying? It, yeah, but there are certain films there which, um, I, you know, I think how much would my seven year old enjoy 
uh, Captain America the Winter Soldier I'm sure he'd love it because of the action and he'd the love fighting. the bits with Captain America yeah. yeah but when it comes to the bits where they, you know, they, there's, there's commentary on, on modern day politics and there's callbacks to 70s paranoia espionage thrillers and things like that I think all of that sort of stuff would be lost on him the things which I you know, really gravitated towards yeah this film it's sort of is it middle of the road Marvel yes which side of that road is it I'd say it's a side viewed into it's a extremely polished well-made film i thought it was extremely enjoyable from the point of view of my expectations weren't through the roof yeah it doesn't take scott lang anywhere that he wasn't at the beginning of the film but i think it's just good. like it was with captain america the first avenger with black panther and now with this film two three maybe four films time we're yeah. going to be looking back on things which are set up in this film as events and things which are seeded which are pivotal to the future of the mcu i, have, I will put money on the fact that avengers 4 will be the heartbreaking aspect for Scott Lang. I don't think we're going to have to wait that long. Nope. I would put money on the fact. It almost... All right, yeah, we'll, we'll get on to the end in a bit. But it almost sets him up as he's got everything he needs now. Yeah, yeah, so he's got you everything. Know? And I think the effects of that, and plus, speaking... But, you know, we're all, all parents. Speaking... If it goes the way I think it's going to go, I think that's worse than any prison sentence that any man could have got. That's right. And I... As we've been talking... Throughout this, you know, little discussion of Ant-Man and the Wasp, and we've mentioned where we think, you know, the MCU was going to go with Cap. Something I've been thinking of lately is crop back up. It's not going to just be Cap. And one of the expendable characters, which has been perfectly set up here, I don't want to see Hawkeye killed, because it's if too Hawkeye's easy, killed... It's too easy a target yeah, as well, I think. Hawkeye's got, you know, three, four children. If Hawkeye's killed, they, you know, their children are going to be left without a father. And if, if Scott Lang is killed... Then at least Cassie has got her mum and stepdad, and and the adoptive the, family for the Pims as well. That's right, and then yeah. she's potentially going to become stature, like, like she does in the book at some point. She set they they setting up the fact that she's going to be, yeah. you know, potentially one of the future young Avengers. I, I'm happy to accept. I think that we that this is it will improve post Avengers. For yeah. I think my my viewing of it, it is it's a very good film. Marvel have set the bar. They always do. We know what Marvel's quality is. Uh, you know, it, it, a bad Marvel film is better than a DC film, and that's coming from my favorite superhero being Superman. For you know, for me, that that is it's not the best, but it's by far not the worst. So, final words and scores, guys. Rich, as you've you know perfectly summed it up there. How would you score Ant Man and the Wasp? Seven and a half. Yeah. Uh, coming out of the cinema, it was a seven. The twenty-five minute drive from the cinema turned into a thirty-five minute drive because traffic was heavy. By the time I got home, it was an eight. I'm coming from the point of view as an unashamed fan of the MCU. Maybe I do go in with low expectations just so I'm not disappointed. But, you know, I've, I've tried to justify as best I can, you know, why I like this film. You know, the humour wasn't lost on me. It was at a level I thought, yeah, I appreciate that. I didn't like the things with the ants. Aside from that, I thought um, I, I did like some of the, the, the you know, the, the character moments. I liked the interplay, you know, the relationships they were setting up. It felt organic. It felt natural. It had a hell of a lot of polish to it. It looked great. It set up some things perfectly. You know, we haven't said anything about the Infinity War zap at the end with Scott. He's stuck in the microverse. Well, I can say we come back to it. We haven't given Scott He's, already, yeah. You know, and then we we come back to outside where you've got Hope, Janet, and Hank, and they've been wiped out. Now, all right, we've given our scores now. Let's talk. Well, about I this. haven't. I'm going to oh, give sorry, it. Go I'm going to give it an eight. So I think that's a film eighty nine verdict of eight out of ten. Okay. Let's talk about that. End sequence. Yeah, as a little post credit to the review, let's talk about let's the post credit. Let's, let's, let's do it this way. Yeah. So mid credits. Mid credits. Mid credits. Yeah. yeah. Let's not talk about the. Let's not talk about the second. One. And guys and girls, if you know, if you haven't yet seen it, don't bother watching them um, after the first uh, 
post credit scene. The second one is just not worth waiting and for. And so you've actually seen the trailers as well. Yes. So right. <laughs> right. This credit sequence, did we need it? Yes. Yes. Did we need to see that those three are gone? No, it could have just been radio silence. But I think for the majority, not, you know, you've got to look at the younger audience as well. Yes, we did. We have to look at the thing from the point of view of the broad audience. They needed to see the fact that they'd been wiped out. They needed to see they'd been wiped out in the same fashion that the rest of the characters were in Infinity War. Yeah. I found myself enjoying the film, like I say, going with low expectations, and I found myself by the middle part of the film, I'd actually forgot about Infinity War. I forgot about it. Going into it at the beginning, I was like, they've got to, how are they going to tie this and how are they going yeah. to do this? And by the middle of the film, I thought, oh, um, I've stopped thinking about how they're going to tie this into an Infinity War sort of yeah. spin off or setup, I should say. Yeah. And then towards the end of the film, I was actually thinking, I, you know, I hope they don't know. I hope they just stop just before that click of the fingers. Seeing it then, I was like, do you know what? That should have been the opening sequence to Avengers 4. They didn't need to do it. I don't well, know. You know. do need to tease your audience with this now. You, well, that's the that's the Marvel way, isn't it? They, they're always they're always looking at the next film, and and you have to. The three of them have to go because one one on their own is going to sort it out. One, yeah. what, the peril is Scott Lang is lost. Scott yeah. Lang obviously there's there's something about where he is lost is going to lead to resolution for Avengers Four. But if if Hope survived, or if Hank survived, or if Michelle Pfeiffer's character survived. One of them was going to sort it out because yeah. they're all brilliant. They all know what they're doing. So they, we, we had to see them all go just for confirmation that he is lost. So there you go, guys. That's our little analysis of the uh, post credit sting from uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp, which, in case you missed it, uh, it gets a film 89 verdict of 8 out of 10. If you're a fan of the MCU, please, by all means, go see it and uh, let us know on Facebook and Twitter what you think of the film. So our uh, three favorite section this week. It's one of the um, topics that's been um, one of the most frequently requested. It's going to be our three favorite movie trilogies. So, gents, who's going to start with it? Number three. Go on, I'll kick off then. Coming in, number three, Toy Story. Ooh. Great. I haven't picked it, but I'm glad someone did. It was... It jumped back and forth <laughs> off my top three, to be honest. I, if, if this had been everyone else's choice as number one, I could have had an argument with it. It's a kid's film. It's a Pixar film. It's everything you shouldn't say on a film podcast if you claim to be a film lover or even a cinephile. It's one of the most well-written, executed trilogies I think you'll ever get as an example of a film it is this list well it just goes on and on and on and on and on as I often do and I just think so many of them could be in the top three um, so so I thought Toy Story what what, what what can be said that hasn't already been said about Toy Story it's perfectly executed uh, each each part feels valued it doesn't feel like it's another cash in it doesn't feel like it's cars it is it is every every, every instalment has a worthwhile position Builds on the stories from the previous, develops the characters, and for Christ's sake, we're talking about films about toys coming to life. Who thought that you know we'd be looking at, we'd be even including them in a list of trilogies when the first one came out? It was it was cutting edge CGI animation, but it is it is outstanding. It's an, it's a tremendous trilogy, and and arguably 
gets better with each film and what what series of films can can you honestly say that about like like you were going to say I think Toy Story 1 was an amazing achievement more than anything it's a good yeah. it's a good film you know it's an enjoyable film it's aimed predominantly at children I think to begin with but then adults found themselves falling in love with when loads they were of, it. loads of adult humour yeah, that's what I'm saying no but I think you know it was perhaps the first film of its type yeah. where they started sliding into adult references I, the actual marketing for it I think to begin with oh yeah absolutely was this, this kids film yeah. you know yeah yeah, yeah. Like you see, the second one builds on it even more. To come back with number three, God knows how many years later, I was like, ah, cash, cash grab, cash grab. No, they've, they've yeah. ruined it. Yeah. What a fantastic film. I mean, the yeah. ending to Toy yeah. Story 3 is one of the most gripping scenes I'd, I've ever been I, I went in, I'd, watching. about an hour before, I'd been chopping chilies, still had some on my hands, rubbed my face in the cinema as I do. I was... It uh, happens. Do you know, it, it happens, it yeah. It happen. I got to the bit where they were in the, uh, the coming near the furnace, and I never suffered with hay fever before. But yeah, unfortunately, that day the pollen was really high. My eyes yeah. started watering. Yeah, I think also it's a combination of that and the the air conditioning in some of the cinemas can make your eyes water. They can. It's just a known fact. It, it is. It dries your eyes out. Uh, you know, they've done a lot of spin-offs recently, or sort of over the last few years, holiday specials, etc. Doesn't do anything. Doesn't do any damage to the, to the uh, trilogy. Doesn't do any. We're talking about cash grabs. A little bit concerned about Toy Story 4. Do we yeah, really want no. a Toy Story well, 4? Well, like you say, I mean, we have got someone playing Buzz Lightyear and that. Now, I'm not sure Disney really want to do yeah. that today. Toy, Toy Story, 1995. You look how Disney was at, at that time. You had films like, you know, they were hit after hit. You had uh, Beauty and the Beast in, I think, 91. You had Aladdin then in 92. You had uh, Lion The Lion King. King in 94. Apart from Beauty and the Beast, none of those films do anything for me. I think, given the age I was at the time... I didn't like the way that they were following this format of having um, songs written by Tim Rice or, or you know famous John. people out John people <laughs> like that of having two comedic characters like Timon and Pumba yeah. and you know it, it was it was getting quite formulaic I, I didn't like the films um, you know I've since warmed them a little bit more after you know watching them with my children come 1995 Toy Story comes along changes the landscape and now look how many you know, CGI yeah. films we've had since. It's become the norm. Unfortunately, cell animation has, has pretty much died a death, which, you know... It... And let's be honest, this was probably the precursor to Disney going, something's popular, we want this. Yeah. Because they, they made no bones about the fact they couldn't compete with Pixar. Yeah. The only way they could compete with Pixar is to own it. It's to own yeah. it, that's and right. You see, you've seen them do it again with yeah. Star Wars, you've seen them do it with the MCU, now they're doing it with Fox. I think in 1999 then, or just prior to when the talk was, the Toy Story 2 was going to be a straight-to-video uh, to yeah. or straight-to-DVD right, yeah. film, it came out. I saw the first one in the cinema. I always remember. I, I remember I, I saw a double bill of, I think given because of the... the it was actually probably early 96 because I think the, the release date was um, was late on Toy Story. I think I actually saw Toy Story and Train Spotting on the same day, back to back. What a, what a you know, bizarre mix of films to see. Just doing films called yeah, 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 with, with a team. With team. <laughs> <laughs> I think in that, oh, I've got a couple of hours to kill until Train Spotting's on. I'm going to go and watch Toy Story. Completely blown away. Thought it was an incredible film. Loved it. Fast forward four years later, I never went to see Toy Story 2. I later caught it on DVD. Toy Story 2 for me is if we were doing top 10 sequels of all time, Toy Story 2 would be in it. For me, Toy Story 2 is the perfect sequel. It is my favourite of the three films. The way it finishes with that musical number with, um, what's the, the name of the penguin? Wheezy. Wheezy. I thought if they don't do another Toy Story film, it's ended perfectly yeah. there. Granted, Toy Story 3 is fantastic. I don't think it's as good as 2, although the payoff with a claw at the end, yeah, is the yeah. single greatest oh. payoff in any film ever. You've got things being set up early on in a film then paid off at the end. You've got the data spike in Robocop, which he uses as a, yeah, as a, yeah. as a weapon at the end. Perfect setup. 
you've got the claw set up in the first film you know the, and everything you know, the aliens always make reference to it situation is dire at the end the claw it, it, incredible it's, it's fantastic they're, they're amazing films and yeah I'm glad one of us picked them I nearly put it in but one of the greatest trilogies ever my number three uh, trilogies usually we're going for big sort of Hollywood franchise movies I'm not trying to be different but I'm going to go for a British trilogy really I've just probably got American backing as well and that'll be the Cornetto trilogy yeah if you look at the time the Shaun of the Dead first came out I was a massive spaced fan the yeah. TV show with Edgar Wright and uh, Simon Pegg's collaboration Shaun of the Dead I remember it was back in the days when I would actually bother reading Empire you know when you used to go and buy a phys- I don't mean that in a slight of Empire I mean physically go and buy a magazine mm. and I can remember be, seeing that it was being made and th- thinking oh this will be alright you know this will be a laugh and then actually going to see the film and being totally blown away by it at the time the trilogy obviously is not a direct continuation of a story it's basically using the same two key actors and you know I'm probably cheating a little bit they same two, two key actors and the director the fact that every one of these films tackles a different genre but is so completely similar in this setup, in this sort of little Middle England sort of setting, the time of these films coming out, Britain was really famous for Merchant Ivory type films yeah. or Guy Ritchie gangster yeah. company wanker no, films. Right, yeah. Possibly we might have had a, a Richard Curtis type film. It amazes me. Britain has got some of the best comedians in the world, without a shadow of a doubt. Yeah. It's very rare that without it being quite twee, we can do a laugh out loud comedy. Yeah. But yeah. Sean of the Dead. And Hot Fuzz, mm-hmm. I would class as a laugh out loud comedy. The World's End, having recently rewatched it, it stands up. It's mm. it's it's not as bad a film as people make out this. Remarkably, The World's End, in a lot of the initial reviews, is hailed as being the best of the three. Really? Yeah. Wow. And I'm talking The Guardian. There was a few, as I was reading yeah. through earlier on. I'm not going to say it's the best of the three. It's the weakest entry of the three. It doesn't make it a bad film. I'm going to work backwards. Confession time, I've not seen The World's End for reasons I, I couldn't even tell you. I've not seen it. Richard, I've, got, I've got a bigger confession. I haven't seen Shaun of the Dead. <gasps> Shit the bed. How have you not seen Shaun of the Dead? It's, it's, on, it's, on, TV it's, two, it's on TV 2 every other week. I, <laughs> I tell you why. I tell you why. I Space passed me by, possibly an age thing. Um, I was very, very young when it was on. Um, so I didn't I did see Shaun of the Dead. Hot Fuzz. Yeah. I, I laughed at the trailer. Everyone raved about it. Everyone loved it. It's gonna be. It's, gonna, it's, it's so funny. It's so funny. It's so funny. It was built up for me. I watched it. Yeah. First, I, I, I've explained where I stand on comedy. So the first time I watched Hot Fuzz, I went into Hot Fuzz. I think with such high expectations because after Shaun of the Dead, I mean, I'm not a filmmaker. I'm not a film writer. I'm you know nowhere, no aspirations to be. If I was asked to make a film, I would like to think that I would make Shaun of the Dead. I'm not saying I could. But in an ideal world, yeah. that is the type of film I would like to make with realistic type heroes in realistic type situations and funny as fuck. Hot Fuzz, the first time I saw it, I thought this is going to be brilliant because it's happening in action. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's no secret, I'm a big lover of the action genre. The first time I watched it, I thought, eh. Over the years, because basically on different, different weeks, you either watch Shaun of the Dead or Hot Fuzz on ITV2 at 10 o'clock. Yeah. I keep returning to Hot Fuzz, and in some ways, it's a better film than Shaun of the Dead. See, I, I, I just I see it on and I can't be bothered and it sullied my interest. Yeah. I like Simon Pegg. I like other things that he's done. But I just... It's right. just... Okay, so I haven't seen The World's End. I'm exactly like you, Rich. I've only seen Hot Fuzz probably one and a half times. I, I think I saw it once in the cinema and then I've seen bits of it, like you say, on ITV2, <laughs> yeah. late at night yeah. and just put it on for five minutes yeah. and then, you know... Stick on ITV4 and watch George I, instead. I, I'm with you, Rich. I don't... 
I probably need to rewatch it. If I, I'm sure, you know, given that you know, mine and Neil's film tastes are quite similar. Certainly, when it comes to comedies, I probably would appreciate it a little bit more now. But I can only comment on, you know, as it stands now. I don't hold it in that higher regard. Shaun of the Dead, I will say, is one of the greatest comedies I've ever seen. If you haven't seen it, you just—it's perfect. I will see. It is. It is as. It is as good a British comedy. As I've as I've seen, and it's, it's set in Stolo Street. Away, and I say I'll give you a slight spoiler. Where basically the opening scene to that is Sean trying to sell his friend Ed as being not too bad a guy to the rest of his gang. At which point Ed walks over and says, "Can I get any of you to drink?" And it just sets the standard yeah. straight away of this isn't going to be four weddings and a funeral, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. this definitely isn't going to be you know cannon and balls and security guards. I can't remember yeah. what that film is called. Boys in blue. Boys in yeah. blue. Thank you very much. Which. I'm fairly hot as sometimes gets compared yeah, yeah. to. <laughs> so, that's the uh, Edgar Wright's Conato trilogy for your number three. Uh, right, my number three, it, it, it was incredibly difficult to pick, you know, favourite trilogies, but from the author, there were three that were just there, which I thought, like, it's going to be hard to justify pushing them out. And the first of those three, Back to the Future. Not a bit. of it. It could have, <laughs> it, it could have easily swapped out with the one in, in number two, but then, the more I think about it, I think, no, actually, you know, this is the one I probably watched the least out of the three of these. But sometimes when I think of, think of the perfect trilogy, films like, uh, trilogies like Toy Story come up. Another one which, you know, I can't pick many faults with at all is the Back to the Future trilogy. I think it works so well as a three three film story arc. Jim Cottle, um, God rest his soul, will, will probably hate me for saying this, but I do love time travel. The idea of time travel is something that's always appealed to me. I think the first film is absolutely flawless. I've got extremely fond memories of seeing in 1989 the second film, which uh, maybe it was because of my age and it appealed to me more at the time, just blew me away. I think the more you analyse and look at Back to the Future 2, it's such a clever, unique film. The fact that you're retreading events from a previous film with a character at a later point in his life in such a clever and well-constructed way when he goes back to 1955 again. I think this is... I think you either get Back to the Future or you don't. And if you do much like I know you do, Rich, it's one of those trilogies that you just embrace and love wholeheartedly. Am I right? Well, it's my number one. It's your number one. So I've got to say, every time I watch the films, as much as I think the third one gets a little bit of unfair flack, I don't agree with that. I think the third one has has got a different story structure. It's more geared toward... It's Doc Doc Brown's story. Yes. But then at the end, where the DeLorean's being destroyed by the train, you know, Marty and Jennifer are stood there. There's just... There's a moment of, of... I, I can't explain it. There's just like a warm sort of thing washes over me. I think, ah, oh, you know, this whole story is just so perfectly told, and this is the perfect end point to it here. It's it's it is the perfect trilogy in my opinion. I think that we're slightly younger than you guys, so I saw Star Wars as an older child. Yeah. So Back to the Future is my Star Wars. So it was one of the earliest films that I saw. I, it was one of the earliest films I ever remember renting. I remember the first time I saw the first film. I, I couldn't wait for the sequel when it came when it went in the cinema. I remember seeing that in the cinema. I remember I remember the whole experience of going to the cinema to see Back to the Future 2. I remember seeing this, the, the, the little tease for Back to the Future 3. I know when it was coming out, I think Back to the Future 2 was in the November. Back to the Future 3 was the following summer. It was, yeah. And the excitement yeah. about Back to the Future 3 coming. And, and, and it was the first film that, whilst there wasn't... A huge amount there and we didn't have the internet we didn't have that it was the first film that i remember buying books about that i remember mm. being interested in the production side of things it just absolutely it, it just it just captured my imagination yeah. and and it was 
it, it is perfect and and there are elements you can pick apart with it of course there are as, as it, you know nothing is perfect but i think that it holds such a special place for me because as i say it was the first film that i probably fell in love with and it's probably the, the series of films i've watched more than any other film yeah and, and, and i've lost count of the amount of times i've watched it and i can quote them verbatim and you know when i say i haven't watched this trilogy as much as the others i don't that might not even be true um i just think that the other i know the other you know, my, my number two and number one picks i've seen them countless times whereas i've got a rough idea how many times i've seen back to the future you know the, you know, the, the back to the future trilogy but what I will say is, I love this trilogy unreservedly. I, I always will. And I'm not going to say anything more about it, because um, I think in the future upcoming episode, Rich, you and me are going to be getting a very special guest onto the Film 89 podcast. Michael J. Fox. And we're going to be giving the, the big deep dive on the Back to the Future Absolutely. trilogy. So I'm not going to say anything more no. about it now, because I think uh, we're going to be covering uh, I could talk all day. I could talk all day about it, but it is, as I say, it's my number one. So that's my number three. So, Rich, your number two. Number two. I was going to go for Star Wars, the original trilogy. Knew it would come up, or expected it to come up. It's certainly an honourable mention for me. A bit left field, I suppose, when you look at my, sort of, uh, my, my pattern of, of 80s and 90s. Uh, but it's the Godfather trilogy. Mm-hmm. I think that I watched them back to back. I first discovered them in the <coughs> late, late 90s, early 2000s. And whereas, you know, Godfather 3 has its detractors, some some correctly so, I think, you know, Godfather 3 falls into that problem with Sofia Coppola is a far better director than she's an actress. Um, mm. You know, much like Rocky Five, you have a problem when someone who's very prominent in it wants to cast their child. You yeah. know, she is the clearly the worst part of that film again what what hasn't already been said about the first two godfather films and godfather 3 there are many many strong points about godfather 3 it, it is it is an almost flawless trilogy marred somewhat by the the issues not the minor issues that are that exist with godfather 3 but michael corleone's journey vita corleone's journey his his story is is serviced well i feel all the way through to the end of godfather part 3 and he is the main character uh, and and i think that you know, you, as I said before, you could switch most of these out. I can't switch back to the future as a personal thing of mine, but with Godfather, Toy Story, you could switch them out to Easy Peasy. I don't know, I can't believe I just said Easy Peasy at 1887. Um, <laughs> I can't believe you had a Papa Sage Stallone, to be honest, mate. Have some respect. God rest his soul. <laughs> hey, listen, there's nothing wrong with Rocky Five that you would be sorted if Sage Stallone was replaced, mate. Well, yeah, I think it's probably. <laughs> They'd have to do a lot more than that. They'd have to do a lot more than that. Yeah. But yeah, so, so it, you know, it's, it is excellent. I think. You know, they, I, I'm not gonna. I'm gonna justify the reasons why I didn't pick this in my top three. The Godfather and the Godfather Part Two sit at number two and number three on the IMDb Top 250. Now, I know a lot of people don't put too much salt in that, but when you look at the amount of people that have voted and the, and the the quite complex and well thought out mathematical thing that they apply to how these films are ranked, it gives you a good gauge as to how popular they are. And you only have to look at you know Twitter polls and things like that to see that these are two. You know, two because I'm not going to say you know the, the third one is, but they're two of the most well-regarded films of all time. And I think if it wasn't for the fact that the third film does trip up because mainly of Sofia Coppola, it would be a perfect trilogy. I don't want to bash too much on the third film because I've always been a strong defender of it. And Steve Amos, back last year, wrote a fantastic piece for the site in defense of Godfather Part yeah. 3. It's one of the best pieces. I, I you know, bit, 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 Bits of writing on film I've, I've read. It was telling me something I already thought, but from a slightly different viewpoint and justifying it in a different way which I hadn't given the same thought to. I like the film a lot. I really do. But because it's got its flaws, that is the only reason why I didn't pick these films as in, you know, in my own top three. But I'm, I'm never going to have any argument with someone that this isn't the greatest movie trilogy ever. I think that the first two... The first film is magnificent. It, it is a perfect film. The second film... 
you know, a lot of people say it's better, and I think from a certain point of view, it is. It, it is a complete work of art. It, it really is. And again, what can you say about the Godfather films that haven't been said before? The acting, the writing, it, it is iconic. There's so much in those films which is just iconic. The horse's head in the bed. M Michael, when he first, you know, loses a cherry and shoots, you know, those two guys in the restaurant. You know, it's just the build up to that. Uh, Coppola's direction, everything. It's the the, the pace that often, oftentimes borders on sedate and relaxed yeah, it's but it, it draws you into the world they're, they're, they're some of the greatest films ever made and you know brilliant choice Neil you're number two hardest decision ever because there's only one film I can pick as number one and then I had to sort of debate mm. about what I'm going for for number two I'm gonna bank on knowing you so well that you're gonna do number two the same as I would have done so for my number two there's four films in the series but I'm gonna just obviously concentrate on three it's going to be the first three and that's the Indiana Jones trilogy <gasps> I didn't pick them that's, they all, were, no, that's okay that's because yeah. I'm hoping you've picked my other one yes. my other number two for, for, for me they were never a consideration simply because and just go back and listen to my recent appearance on Wrong Reel where me and James Hancock talked for two hours non-stop about the indie films I'm not going to have to justify my love any more than I did on that episode. I love those three films. I'm not a big fan of the fourth one. I don't think it's as bad as some people say. No, no. But it is a bit of a shit show. And extremely disappointing. But yeah, I, I, I'm glad you picked it because I feel guilty by leaving them out. But it's... the three picks I, I've picked are films, are, are trilogies that I just love a little bit more. I've got to be honest with this with this trilogy of films. It, it, I'm going to use the cliche that I use every time. At any time these films are on TV, I find myself watching them. And it's, it's quite a ballsy decision as well by Spielberg as well to make the second film a prequel but not hark on about it. Yeah. It almost sets up the fact like when we were doing Greatest Introductions of Characters and I was oh. going on about how yeah. Indy is almost like a James Bond character you should already know. Yeah. Mm. If you work it chronologically, then the opening of Raiders of the Lost Ark, of course you know who Indiana yeah. Jones is. The third film could have easily have blown up on itself, introducing the father of Sean Connery, and it does sometimes fall into a little bit of a sort of knock-around comedy type thing. Yeah. But it works so well with the, the characters as well. And to me, like you say, we, we, you know, you've discussed it, we've discussed it you know, off-air off as well. There's so many elements to this film that work, and he's such a fantastic character. I'm, I'm, say, I'm hoping you'll go for my... Uh, my Right, run it up for number two. But yeah, if I had to choose, I'd go definitely for the indie trilogy of number two. Yeah. Fantastic films. I can't say anything more than I didn't on the wrong real episode because um, I, I couldn't sum it up any better than I did there. I've, I've got indie written down. I, my, me being a sort of a bit sort of OCD and fastidious, I was thinking I, I can't call it a trilogy because there's four films. No, I, it's not, I there thought, isn't. There isn't. <laughs> <laughs> I, but, thought, I thought you were going to say I was much too young to enjoy them, Rich. <laughs> no, but that, that, was, that, that, that was it. It was a case of you know, not like the Terminator films where there are only two Terminator films and the rest are fan fiction. Let's, it is let's, canon. Let's be honest. It is canon. Yeah, if Rise of the Machines was like a fraction better, then we might have had an argument here for making that number one as a but trilogy. It's but it's not, so no. it can't. And, and, and that is why... And that's, that's another reason why Die Hard's not on my list. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, where are we at now? My number two? Yeah, your number okay. two. Okay, I think we're all going to be chipping in here. My number two is the original Star Wars trilogy. Ooh. <laughs> you look surprised <laughs> yeah you're going for number one you've got my number two is your number one I want to have one of those dynamo moments now when I open the envelope up and do the no I haven't I, I, know I, know I haven't no sorry um, my number two is the original Star Wars trilogy it, 
they're films that you know I think if you wipe these films from existence the landscape of cinema would be completely different I sometimes think that these films are so ingrained in me as a person and harking back to the episode recently where I interviewed uh, Mark O'Connell about his book Watching Skies there's so much in that book that centers back on Star Wars and I think it's something that is pivotal to our generation to the point where Hayden and I Hayden Spurl who obviously is part of the Film 89 crew he's much younger than us and I've said to him Hayden what do you think of the original Star Wars trilogy? Because I want to—I sometimes want to get a perspective from a different generation as to how those films come across. Yeah, if you grew up with the prequels being your first yeah. experience, they, or even if you grew up with being the next chapter yeah. being your first experience. And I think it's a testament to how good those films are is the fact that they've been subject to so much unnecessary tinkering by George Lucas um, from 1997 onwards. No, he, he started tinkering with those films a couple of months after they were released. Yeah. I mean, in, 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 theatrically, there were little changes yeah. made here, there, and everywhere. But, you know, those three films are... They're not a perfect trilogy anymore, because I think the current versions, they're a little bit sullied by some... Like, the, the, the alternate musical number in Jabba's Palace yeah. and then in Return of the Jedi. And I love Return of the Jedi. I love the film. But I really wish he hadn't made those changes there. I much prefer Lappy Neck and the, you know, the original yeah. celebration at the end. But, you know, they've been changed. I hope one day that um, we get the original versions in pristine remastered condition. I, I didn't mind the addition. I, I genuinely, in, in Return of the Jedi, I didn't mind the addition of Naboo and things like that just to no, sort of add a little bit no. of credence to, to the prequels. What I, my, my most objectionable change is Hayden Christensen replacing... Uh, Which makes no sense at all. Yeah. No yeah. sense at all. Oftentimes I wonder, when it comes now to the next big Star Wars anniversary that comes up, will we do an episode that celebrates those films? I think, what's the point? Every other episode, they come up, they become relevant. We talk about them. We mentioned, we've mentioned them in numerous different forms, just from the obvious sort yeah. of sci-fi choice. But we'll constantly reference it as well. I mean, mm. I can't remember what film I was talking about on a recent podcast and I was saying to you, sequels are based on this, is, so, Express, this yeah. is our version yeah. of Empire, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, and stuff like that. I think it was actually the Infinity War. Yeah, one yeah, yeah. I said they, they pulled the trick of doing it in the third yeah. film rather yeah. than the second film, you know? You know, I had big plans back in the um, come, you know, the 40th anniversary of Star Wars to do big retrospective pieces on each film for Film 89. As much as I, I had an angle, and the angle was, was was started and fired up in my mind, funny enough, by watching... I think Family it was, Guy. No, it was, it, was, it, was, it was the Lego Batman movie. Yeah. And I had an angle where I was going to approach um, looking at these films from a new perspective. And then, you know, I, I don't know what happened, and I, I missed the anniversary, and I thought, you know, for, for some reason, I don't feel confident to write big pieces on these films because they're going to be completely devoid of, a, of an objective viewpoint. They're films that I... You know, do I even look at these films objectively anymore? Do any of us... Mm. I think, and I think you know that's a difficult question to answer. We're almost with all the Last Jedi stuff, with everything that's gone on. I found myself. I never thought I'd ever say this. I just I found myself at a point where they talk about comic book movie fatigue. I am Star Wars fatigued. I, I the original. All I want to do is come out a lot quicker than any comic book fatigue. Yeah, I'll go back and watch the original trilogy. I will always watch them when they're on telly again, yeah. no matter what point they're on. But as for everything else, I might watch. You know, even Rogue One. You know, I might watch it again. I probably will watch it again. Am I desperate to see it again? No, I'm no. not. I'm not desperate to see any other Star Wars film, and I will just go back to the original trilogy. Well, to talk it's, it is what it is, and I just think 
what you I, I I totally get what you're saying, and and you know Empire Magazine, an example of Empire Magazine. You know, every sort of three or four months, it seems to be there is a reason to do a Star Wars anniversary, or there's a Star Wars this, a Star Wars that. Do you know what I've just realised? Like, we've all got in our heads what each other has picked, and you know I've known you now for a long time. If you told me five years ago that we were going to be sitting here tonight going over our favourite three trilogies, and you hadn't picked Star Wars, I would be shocked. And you haven't picked Star yeah. Wars. You haven't picked it either. Shit off! I was trying to play the odds because I thought no. I thought Star Wars was going to be your. But I did one. say it. It is Godfather is because I'm already now feeling regretful. I didn't put the Godfather trilogy right. ahead of this one. But Star, Star Wars know. is always going to be an honourable mention for me. Yes. As much as I love Star Wars, I'm going to side with Rich a little bit. Yeah. I mean, and the nostalgia factor <laughs> has been ruined for me by the yes. sort of subsequent. Yeah. Yeah, spin off. You know? And if we've been having this discussion now in early January during the eye of the shitstorm that was the Last Jedi, oh, I probably I would. Can't I would probably. I would have probably thought, you know what, I am done with Star Wars. But Solo, Solo has reignited my love of yeah. Star Wars a little bit. Do you know what? I came out of watching Solo and I actually said aloud, "I like Star Wars again." Yeah, and I think <laughs> it's literally a case of that light switch being flicked on and off, and it's going to be interesting to see now what happens with episode nine. Hopefully, JJ Abrams is a is a miracle worker. Interestingly, I know it's not made massive money, but it's not been a flop. But they seem to be just brushing any because it was going to be a, a trilogy again. Yeah, you know. But any, any ideas of just a sequel to Solo now seem to have gone very quiet. Yeah, they? but but everything's gone quiet with. I think they've got heads down and a bit of a team talking. Can I just point minutes. something out now? It's both going to sum up where we're going and also bring the conversation to a, to a halt. You guys haven't picked Star Wars. But if I hadn't interjected, we would have probably gone on for the next half an hour and talked about Star Wars. Is it because now I'm trying to divorce myself from the feelings, I've, you know, quite negative feelings I've had of late towards Star Wars? And do you think that you guys are still in the position of you can't forgive how the franchise has gone in recent the, years? The late Jim Cottle. God rest before, his soul. God rest his soul before his passing. He said to me something that I'd sort of said in different words. They're not having any more of my money. Yeah, I know. And for Jim you know? Cottle, a man who, and I, I got when he was with us, loved Star Wars. You know, more well, than anyone. That eulogy that Rich sang at his, uh, at, his, at, his yeah. at his funeral was uh, quite uh, it was. talented. It was all Star Wars based, wasn't it? It was. It was, it was basically it was a it was a rendition of the um of this of the song from the end of the Star Wars holiday special. Yeah. And I I'm tearing up thinking of it now. Yeah. Anyway, we digress. It certainly wasn't his life day, was it? I'm I'm. I'm <laughs> I'm shocked that you guys haven't picked Star Wars. I it, just can't. It, I just can't anymore with Star Wars. Okay, then imagine, was, like I say, imagine a, a, a reality where Star Wars didn't exist. I can't. I can't. Yeah. And I want. So, I want to love. Star, I want to love Star Wars, and it was definitely going to be one of my honorable mentions. But at this time, it just hurts. Too I much. fully understand, guys, and <laughs> I can't believe that I am the one of all of us that is actually being the advocate for Star yeah. Wars here. Rich, what is your complete lack of surprise number one choice? Well, Back to the Future. As there I've you said. go. Anything else to say on that that we're not going to say in a future episode? Uh, well, I could talk all day and all night, so I will say nothing. Fantastic. Neil, I am really intrigued to see what you're going <laughs> It's here. what I thought was going to be your number two choice. Again, it's a trilogy, but it's not a direct trilogy. There's films in between. It's Captain America saga. You. I'm being hit with so many mixed emotions here. I thought you were going for a different one altogether. No. What did you think I was going to go for? I thought you were going to go for three of the Rocky films. <laughs> <laughs> and in the back of my mind... Thought he's not going to go for the Spock trilogy, Star Trek two, nope. three, and four. No, I'm going to go for Captain America. The reason I'm going to go for the Captain America wow. trilogy is because I don't think I have ever seen a character 
develop so subtly over... Well, I'm going to say three films, but there's, there's films in between as well. There's influences in between as well. Basically, people like to say about the second one being a Cold War sort of thriller, espionage type thriller, and it is, and I completely agree with that. I don't think what a lot of people pick up on is the, the effects of war and the way the soldiers are treated. Yeah. And if you look at this from the beginning point of a skinny little kid in an alleyway who basically just wants to go and fight the Germans. Yeah, I mean, yeah. my Christopher Walken impression. Yeah. I can't do it. It's <laughs> like a joke. It's like a joker. It's like he was in the room. <laughs> Uncomfortable hunk of metal. But uh, <laughs> if you start off at that point, you have the sort of patriotic kid who wants to go and fight. Yeah. He's willing to do anything, literally to the point of getting super juiced and super jacked mm. to go and be this super soldier because that's the only way he can fight. You move on to the second film. You've got the sort of espionage, you've got the... Uh, by the time we get to the third film, we've got complete sort of government turning on you. And it doesn't matter what you do, how many good men you have who are willing to put their lives on the line, who are literally willing to give everything for their country. If you look at any war story at some stage, the man, the government, the politician, the whoever, always says, you've done your bit, now do what I say this time. There's never any end to this war. And the way you get, like I say, the sort of shield infiltration in the second one down to the uh, Slovakian Accords in the third one, and the way that he has to deal with it. Mm. And it's just a, such a man of such principle who won't change. But he's, my main concern wasn't Thor when the original Avenger movies were coming out. Yeah. My main concern was Captain America because yeah. I thought this is going to be cheesy as fuck. Yeah. yeah. And they didn't do it that way. Yeah. Mm. And you could look at that character as being a sort of very... And he's not even my favourite Avenger. He's not even... You know, he's not the one I would pick, you know? But what, he, he, what he's done as an actor and the way that the writers have written these films, mm. the sort of subtlety to the after-effects of war, the after-effects of people giving everything for their country, giving everything for what they believe for an ideal they think is right, yeah. to then constantly be thrown back into the shit, to constantly have what you did was good, but now we're taking it in a different direction... I think that didn't get picked up a lot. You just said stuff about these films, and I thought, you know, I, I, I had a very, you know, I'd analysed these films having watched them, you know, several times. But you've just highlighted things that I was maybe subconsciously aware of now. I, I want, you know, to write pieces for the site that I can't do. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I can't believe, I'm surprised you picked it. Yeah. I would have picked it if it wasn't for the fact that I talked myself out of picking it because I think, for me, to get the complete Steve Rogers story arc, you need to insert Avengers yeah. and Avengers Age of Ultron yeah. in it at least. No, I'll agree with Maybe that. not so much Infinity War, but as a superhero trilogy, you know, you and I, did, obviously, we discussed The Dark Knight at length on the last episode. If we, t- if we took the Avengers films out and we just assumed they'd happened, yeah? yeah. If you just watched those three, three films, those three solid films... You wouldn't have lost back, anything, though. You, would you have... No. You wouldn't, you wouldn't have lost, lost anything. anything no. and it's just additional buffering and um, character moments, and like the conversation in Age of Ultron, the the, the wood chopping thing between Tony Stark and and, yeah. Ca- and Cap, and the, and the bit where they part ways at the end, and you know what's coming in the, in Civil War. Yeah, moments the, like that, I think. The civ- yeah, maybe you would miss the out. Civil War part where you get the two of them in the sort of um, meeting room, and he's got the the pens that his father had. Yeah. they sort of break bread, and you get Tony and Steve finding a common ground and then all of a sudden he finds out he's like yeah I can see where Tony's coming from Tony's just saying look just sign the accord we'll work around it mate yeah we'll work around it and then all of a sudden we're Scarlet Witch oh she's you know locked away for her own safety and instantly he goes back to I can't this is how it all begins this is how it all begins this is how it all begins and if you look at it as a sort of like a Nazi ideal yeah. And then you look to what's happening in America now where you've, where you've got that sort of distinct left and right and yeah. basically sides playing off each other, scoring mm. PowerPoints like, yeah. like, like the sacking of James Gunn because everyone has to be right, but everyone, more importantly, everyone has to look right. Yeah. And 
what has forgotten a lot of time is you've got the one man there who's literally going, he's not preaching he's right or wrong. He's no. basically going, this is what I believe in. And it seems to be every time he's right. That's right. See, I just thought he was really cool because he's really strong. Well, I like his muscles as well. I'm not going <laughs> to lie to you about I, that. Do, <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's see when I, he grabs the helicopter and the underarm and <laughs> Well, yes. Yeah, it's a I'm, West dream for me. But <laughs> I'm so glad you picked it. You've, I'm, I'm, I, so I always think of him as almost like a Vietnam veteran. You know, you're sort of, not like your John Rambos, but along that type of thing. Someone who goes to war, comes back, and literally his country just you know, keeps on shitting on him. Yeah. Um, unless, through some miracle... Kevin Feige or Marvel Studios run this franchise into the ground. I'm always going to want to go back and watch these films yeah. because there's just layer after layer of, of depth and nuance and, and just story detail and character detail that you're always going to be picking up on. Yeah. And when you started talking about that and the PTSD, I immediately thought back to the thing of um, how Falcon is introduced. Yeah. Helping war veterans. Yeah, yeah. And it's they've, they've taken these characters from comic books, a guy who flies with robotic wings and just made them feel real. And if you, look at, if you look at the introduction of Falcon there, you've got Steve finding a sort of common ground with him, sort of appreciating straight away, oh, he's helping veterans, mm. but he's also a man who needs help himself. Yeah. It's almost like he's helping veterans to try and give himself some direction. Yeah. And then Steve goes the next yeah. thing and helps him, you know? So, the Captain America trilogy. Yeah, I honestly thought you were going to go for the East, to be honest. Well, yeah, <laughs> I think we've surprised each other. Rich, Rich's choices didn't surprise me. I'm if you hadn't if you hadn't put back to the I'm future I'm nothing if not predictable no, but, if you hadn't put, no, but if you hadn't put back to the future trilogy as number one I'd now be taking you to the hospital and getting your, your observations checked I, uh, thinking that maybe if you think you had me so obsessed Neil what have I gone for as number one do you know, I've not a clue because I honestly thought you may have gone for Captain I thought it was either going to be Captain America or Star Wars I didn't want to show which Lord, other it was going to be Lord of the Rings Lord of the Rings of course it is <laughs> yeah I look I'm going to keep this short and sweet like we, the films yeah we like the films yeah the brief jaunts through Middle Earth that they are <laughs> a good friend of ours James Hancock I was listening to one of his most recent episodes of Wrong Wheel today where he goes back and um, he, he loved the Lord of the Rings trilogy for the longest time being a massive Lord of the Rings fan himself his love of those films has been completely sullied by Peter Jackson's subsequent Hobbit trilogy I almost brought it up there with the Star I, Wars thing I, <laughs> I more than understand that but I think from my point of view as much as I, I really didn't like them at first. Rich, you know, you know, you yeah. and I have had this discussion. We've rewatched them now a few times. They're not as bad as I once thought. And the extended cuts. Yeah, the extended cuts, as much as the, the extended cut of the first one doesn't really add anything. So the way these things films work is, is strange. The original Lord of the Rings trilogy, I did not enjoy the first film in the cinema. I was made by a, by an ex-girlfriend to watch the first film over and over again. It was like Clockwork Orange, having my eyes jammed open. I, I, I don't put it on again. I don't want to see it again. After about the fifth or sixth viewing of Fellowship of the Ring, something clicked. I had not read the Lord of the Rings books for the longest time. An uncle of mine kept saying, Hey, I've got this book here, Sky. You really need to have a look at this. I, that it, it looks like... It, it's like 3,000 pages. I can't read it. It's too much for me. Something clicked, and by the time The Two Towers came around, this theatrical release in, in uh, December 2002, I was fully on board. But it was something that took a long time with me. Since then, I, 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 you know, I've, I've got a love of these films like no other. And even the very disappointing Hobbit trilogy, which was beset by all sorts of production problems. I'm not making excuses for Peter Jackson, but... If you watch the very candid behind-the-scenes documentaries on the extended edition of the third film, The Battle of the Five Armies, he makes no bones about the fact that things ground to a halt. He doesn't go too much into the details as to why he decided to split a very small book into three films, but I'm not going to go into you know, why that trilogy didn't work. But it didn't work. Yeah, James um, Hancock summed it up with that, but it could have been one good film. 
He yeah. did. And as much as I fully understand where James is coming from, my love of that trilogy is so great. But it was one that built over time. And it built and built and built. And like all the best things, I think the more effort you put into it, I then read the books. I really enjoyed the books. But there were big portions of them. I thought they, they needed to be cut out for the films, which they were. Yeah. Things like um, the, the Barrow Whites, Tom Bombadil Tom in particular, Bombadil, yeah. they had to be cut. They would never have worked in a film. The way uh, The Two Towers, the book, is structured, the fact you've got these characters are off here doing this bit, the first half of the book is going to tell their, their story, and then yeah. the second half of the book, for people that don't know the books, the books are actually split into, into six books. You've got The Fellowship of the Ring, Part 1 and 2, Two Towers 1 and 2, and Return of the King, Part 1 and 2. The way Peter Jackson made that middle portion of The Two Towers, which was virtually unfilmable in the way it was told in the books, into what I will say, hands down, is one of the greatest sequels or middle parts of a trilogy I've ever seen. I think, you know, whatever we've got planned for the Lord of the Rings films at some point in the future, I think, you know, we're going to get probably some, some, some guests on who are big fans of it to talk about. Rich, I'm sure, you know, you're yeah. going to want in on that. Because, am I right, you're, you, you know, you're a big fan of the, oh, the massive, films? Oh, massive, massive. I knew it was coming with you, yeah. and it, that's why it was easy to leave out of my three. I, I'm because... not going to go into, into too much detail about Back last November, the 25th, 26th, and 27th of November, I posted three really hefty articles on the site. Um, I think there were about six, 7,000 words in total across the three articles about these films. Please go back. Have a read of them. I would understand for people like you, Neil, for which these you've you've tried to watch these films I, and enjoy yeah, them. It's, it's not like dislike the films. I just <clears throat> literally I just don't class them as you know in my favourites list. Yeah, uh, you no, know, and I fully understand. That. I think I've watched I I've watched the first one I think three times, and I've watched the other two once each. Yeah, and I can see why people like them. They're just not for me, and it's not any sort of genre or anything like that because no. there's other things, <coughs> films along those sort of lines. Yeah. that I've watched. The Hobbit films, I think I've watched the first one. I can't even remember, yeah. to be honest. But they just, for whatever reason, they don't they don't like if, my fire. If the Lord of the Rings comes off you, then the Hobbit films certainly yeah. won't be. We're going to go on to um, some honourable mentions. Myself, uh, The Godfather trilogy, Toy Story, Indiana Jones, and, as much as Regis is going to upset your OCD, I've picked the first three Alien films as a trilogy. So have I. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Rich, what about you? Yeah, um, Star Wars, original trilogy, Lord of the Rings... Indy was in and off my list, yeah. but it was it was difficult for me there. Alien, Die Hard, even with with Die Hard with a Vengeance, um, Sam Raimi Spider Man. We we fall into that trap again, whereby I've put the Godfather trilogy in because of the perfection of the first two, and and for me the the low yeah. points of three don't detract from the overall experience. However, when you're looking at Spider Man three, where does Spider Man three compare to Terminator three? Yeah, you know. I yeah, I'd so, actually say I'd, I'd much rather watch Spider-Man 3 than Terminator 3. I'd watch Spider-Man 3 every day of the week rather than watch Terminator yeah. 3 and, 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 yeah. and so, you know, it, it isn't it isn't perfect, which is why it's not on my top, but it was not, it's an honourable yeah. mention. Um, I even toyed with the Hannibal Lecter trilogy. Um, no. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. Silence yeah. of the Lambs, I love Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. I say no, but I actually really like Hannibal. See, I did love Hannibal, and actually... Where I prefer Red Dragon is because they tone back on the Lecter. Red Dragon is a, is a, is a is not a good film. Manhunter is a far better version of the book. A yeah. Far better version of the book. And However, I would say with Hannibal as well, it, it falls into the trap of the problem with the Die Hard films, where the character is good enough as it is, but all of a sudden now seems to be 
like a super powered person like Hannibal Lecter some of the things he does I mean, the, the, yeah. the, the books I mean the, the, the books are, are, are quite bonkers but I think that you know I, I toyed with the idea and again I think the problem no, with that no, one is no you're giving it an honourable mention so yeah, you know, yeah like the indie films could have quite easily been in mine the Godfather film certainly I think maybe should have but it's yeah, all it's all just a nice vehicle by which to discuss our not, you know, but like I always say we're not discussing best we're discussing our personal favourite yeah. I've got um, the Caesar trilogy of Planet of the Apes yeah, the modern ones. Oh, the yeah. ones. Yeah, without doubt. Die Hard I tinkered with. Obviously, I'm going to mention Rocky, but I'll go Rocky 1, 2, and 3. Yeah, that's, okay, that's fine. Before we go into silliness of 4 and the 5. Yes. yes just for yes. the record, we all love 4. <laughs> yeah, it is. We, we do love it. I love 4, but it's just silly. I'm going to get a stick for this one. And again, I'm going to go middle choices. I'm going to go Fast and Furious 4, 5, and 6. You had a franchise that was dead on its ass. I, I will. <laughs> I, I, right. I, I will. If I were an adjudicator in this, I would say that is allowed. Yeah, it's allowed. You've got you've got a franchise that's dead. Fast and Furious is a great sort of action film, and that's about yeah. all it is. The second one is terrible, and the third one is called Tokyo Drift. I don't know if you've seen it. <laughs> <laughs> Four came back, and I was like, "Who the fuck wants to watch this?" And I found myself strangely enjoying it. And then five, five was mind-boggling. Was like brilliant. Dwayne Johnson yeah. can save anything. That's and right. then six, it was nice because the yeah. the, the family had grown because it's all about family. The family had grown. They had separate characters. And then Seven wasn't very good, but Paul Walker died halfway through, so give it a fucking break. <laughs> we have got a raft of honourable mentions, and I'm going to try and go through them as quickly as I can. Our own Steve Amos is given the Star Wars original trilogy, Christoph, Christoph Kozlowski's Three Colours trilogy, Red, White and Blue, the Godfather trilogy, Jim Cottle is given the original Star Wars trilogy, Lord of the Rings and the Godfather. Hayden Spurrell, the Dark Knight trilogy, Lord of the Rings, and Back to the Future. Dark Knight, what an honourable mention. Yeah. Well, we forgot about that. Yeah. He's given honourable mentions of the original Star Wars trilogy, the Modern Day Apes trilogy, and The Godfather. Jacob Rivera, who's a big friend of the podcast, at JRATM23, has given the Before trilogy, the original Star Wars trilogy, and The Dark Knight. Honourable mentions being The Godfather, The Matrix... Mm, no, the, Matrix, no. the Matrix yes sorry no, Jacob but two, two and Matrix. three I do like two I don't mind two I apart from that, that terrible 15 minute speech at the end by the Merovigian or whatever he is oh what a load of shit three oh shit show the Die Hard trilogy the Man With No Name trilogy Mad Max to, to pick a Mad Max trilogy and not a Fury Road in oof it's the Mad Max original trilogy and yeah. saying, if you look at the trilogy I'm going to go Thunderdome and ask that's, is, that's no, the rise of the machines right. isn't it yeah. that's the from being a trilogy he's, he's also picked the Three Colours trilogy the Blade trilogy yeah. and finishes it off with yeah. Toy Story Martin Kessler who's been on, on uh, Film 89 and is a big friend of uh, the site and the podcast The Pusher Films by Nicholas Winding Raven which I hadn't actually seen and looked into them and they actually look pretty cool films mm. they're, um, they're basically films about the criminal underworld in Copenhagen and knowing um, you know Revan and, and, and being obviously the, yeah. you know, the director of Driver mm. uh, sorry Drive which is one of my favourite films of the last 10 years I really need to go back and look at these films Hiroshi Inagaki's Samurai Trilogy which um, I'm a big fan of and another one another non-English language trilogy the Infernal Affairs Trilogy the first film of which was the basis of The Departed, Departed yeah. fantastic trilogy yeah. you guys would absolutely love them a young lad has met just by the name of Zach Gaskin. Is he, is he any, does he have any relationship to you? He claims to be, I don't know, he just lives here. <laughs> Great lad, Zach. He's picked the Back to the Future trilogy. Good oh, Good taste. Indiana Jones trilogy and the original Star Wars trilogy. 
You're raising him very well. well I don't know about Back to the Future, but I'll let that go. <laughs> no, you're raising him very well. <laughs> we have had a massive response off Facebook in relation to this. Um, I'm going to be as quick as I can. Joseph Bartram has picked the Dark Knight trilogy. Jordan Turk has picked uh, Richard Linklater's Before trilogy. Chris Kent has picked the Back to the Future trilogy and the original Star Wars trilogy. Chris Kavanagh has gone for original Star Wars, Mad Max trilogy, and the Captain America trilogy. Good point. And he says, we need to put Toy Story in as well. Good lad. Dean Clancy has picked Lord of the Rings, the original Star Wars trilogy, and The Dark Knight. Ernie Hayes, Halloween 1-3, to the original Star Wars trilogy, and Friday the 13th 1-3. to Paul Franklin has picked The Vengeance trilogy. Such a shame, I'm really not a fan of the third one. Juliet Harriet McKinnell has picked Toy Story, Lord of the Rings, and again, the Before trilogy, Richard Linklater's trilogy is cropping up a hell of a lot here. Pete McCann, God bless him, has picked... Same as me, Lord of the Rings, original Star Wars, and Back to the Future. Justin Bird has picked Taylor Sheridan's Frontier trilogy, Lord of the Rings, and Nolan's Batman trilogy. Andy Rowland, like you, has picked the Cornetto trilogy. Good man. Shane Wakefield, The Godfather, no question. Rob Pullen, Captain America, Toy Story, and the original Star Wars. Martin Wakefield, Toy Story, the Tyler Sheridan trilogy, and Evil Dead. Ted Leggett has picked the Tremors trilogy. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? About time someone yeah. did. <laughs> Toy Story and Back to the Future. Sean Salt has picked the Vengeance trilogy, Lord of the Rings, the Godfather trilogy. Paul Davidson has gone for, as Martin Kessler did, the Pusher trilogy by Nicholas Winding Revan. Lachlan Evans has picked, again, someone else has picked the same as me, Lord of the Rings, Back to the Future, and original Star Wars. Jordan Brown, the Before trilogy, Lord of the Rings, and original Star Wars. And lastly... Michael Herman has picked the Vengeance Trilogy by a mile, the Godfather Trilogy, and Christopher Nolan's Batman Trilogy. That was literally probably a third of the response we've had off Facebook in relation to that, so thank you everyone. Apologies that uh, you know I, I couldn't read everyone's uh, picks out. We would have been going on all night. But th there you have it, guys. That's our favourite three trilogies. So we're going to move on to listener questions. Uh, we've had a raft of questions. And again, uh, because of timing, I have to narrow it down to three. First one, Liz Edwards, at Liz underscore Edwards on Twitter asks, I've recently given up on The Walking Dead after eight seasons. I've just lost interest in it. What TV series, if any, have you dumped after sinking a significant amount of time into? Sorry, what was that young lady's name? Liz Edwards. Liz Edwards, I've recently given up on The Walking Dead. I understand there's two episodes left of the season eight, and I understand that perhaps one of the main characters dies. I don't care anymore. I've had enough. Season seven, I thought, I'm done with this. Season eight, I thought, I'm definitely done with it. It's nothing more frustrating than when you've invested so much time in a series to actually... I spent the majority of season eight being annoyed by it. Mm. Yeah, it wasn't even yeah. boring me or disinterested me. It was actually annoying yeah. me to the point when I was verbally shouting out, fucking make it stop, you know? Liz, um, you know, as Neil said, I echo his words. I'm with you. Um, I've I've given up during season eight. I've just had enough of it. It, it ironically has become a shuffling corpse of a show that doesn't know when it needs to Ooh. die. Okay. Another one, which you know, Rich and I have discussed lately, and being a massive Marvel fan and having sort of casually enjoyed the series from you know season one onwards, I've I've just had to give up on um, Agents of Shield. It seems to be diverting away from the MCU. I just haven't got enough time in my life to sink the amount of time I need to into that show when I could be watching other things. Yeah. So, unfortunately, it's had to go. Much the same, I've got to be honest as well, with a lot of the Netflix Marvel stuff. And the I'm, same, I'm way behind Je on Jessica it. Jessica Jones, halfway through season two, just gave yeah. up. 
Luke Cage, I've seen the first two episodes of the season two. Yeah. They're all right, they're not they're not bad, but I don't find myself going back to them. Yeah. Iron Fist was absolutely dire. Yeah. I I I have got a big issue, big problem with this in as much as like I think you said before, with time being a premium is what it is. I find I end up sticking with programmes because I'll half watch them because yeah. I have so little time to physically sit down and watch. A forty three minute chunk is something I can put on while I'm pottering about and I'm doing something else and I'll watch it. I've stuck with Agents of Shield, I've stuck with this season of Agents of Shield because I thought that it was going to be the last season, and with everything that's gone on with Infinity War and my love of the MCU, I will watch any old shit that is MCU. Yeah. And and, and that's why I've stuck with it. And now, you know, out to the bag comes the season six, which is going to be after yeah. the next film. Depending on what, ha- what happens, I could I could no longer watch any more. I, I, I'm satisfied I got to the end of season five. I'm not someone who ditches TV shows. I, I invest so much into characters, and I end up sticking with it. I didn't bother with The Walking Dead. But the way I see it, Rich, is you could end up being one of those poor people who sank hours of their life into Lost and then... Of, yeah. of, 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 Which I, I give up yeah, after but, season two. Because ah, no, my caveat with Lost is we weren't in that golden age of television quite yet. No, so we no. weren't spoiled for choice. So right. we weren't spoiled for choice. And I kept thinking with Lost, this is going to have a payoff. Yeah. The, we, all, we, we all knew the obvious ending. This is going to totally throw us off. Yeah, now. Yeah. And no, it was the obvious ending. I, that right. was one of the most you, know, you know I was thinking from season two well. onwards? This is a load of shit that they don't know where they're going with. And yeah. I, I thought, well, you know, I'm going to make a judgment call here. I'm going to give up and I'm going to watch something else instead. Yeah, yeah I, I wish I had. <laughs> that's why, I, that's why I, need to, I need to be more decisive with that. Is, that's a great and a very timely question, uh, given the fact that, you know, Rich and I, and also, you know, me and Neil have both given up on both The Walking Dead and, well, sorry, Rich hasn't given up on Agents of Shield, but I have. So. Mm. Okay, next question. Lee Desmond on Facebook asks, I've just read Mark O'Connell's brilliant Watching Sky's book after listening to your interview with him on the podcast. Oh, Thank you very much, uh, Lee. He asked, what other film-related books have you enjoyed and would you recommend? Now, by that, I've taken it that he means reference books or possibly um, autobiographies or anything film-related. So, yeah, I, Neil? Uh, film-related. I don't tend to read a lot of books based on films. There's a great Terminator 2 book, The Terminator Vault. Yeah, it's about, yeah, it's about the Terminator franchise, yeah. Which is, you know, it's a fantastic book. Sylvester Stallone's auto, semi-autobiography yeah. training manual, Sly Moves. Yeah, but he, is, he goes into a lot of detail about his career and, does, film and the choices yeah, so he made. Bit, it's a strange choice of a book, but somehow it works. Yeah, this, <laughs> I'm doing it in reverse. There's a documentary by Robert Evans, a legendary Hollywood producer, yes. The Kid Stays in the Picture. Yeah, I watched the documentary first and I ended up reading the book as a result yeah. of it. If anyone hasn't read the book yet and hasn't seen the documentary, yeah. watch the documentary first and then read the book and try not to do it mm-hmm. in his voice because his narration... It is something else. It's fantastic. Yeah. But it's a good glimpse into sort of a bygone era of Hollywood and the sort of wheeler dealing backroom deals behind the scenes. Yeah. yeah. Now, one one film book I would have recommended would have been Easy Riders and Raging Bulls by Peter Biskind. Now, it's a great book and it was for the longest time regarded as if you want to read a book about Hollywood, it was like seen as as the Bible in many ways. But I've since read and heard of so much stuff that discredits a lot of the stuff that's in that book oh, that right. it's, it's actually put me off going back and rereading it yeah nearly bring up the terminator vault that's probably one of my favorite books i've read in the last 10 years uh, it's by ian nathan who has recently um written anything you can imagine peter jackson they're making of middle earth which is a, which is a book i've got to pick up and yeah. read um he's a fantastic film writer he sort of um his books are more from the making of point of view which is something that completely appeals to me 
Before that, you had the Alien Vault, which is about you yeah. know, the making of the, the first four Alien films. I absolutely recommend that. Absolutely great books. And if you've got any interest in those films, these are sort of, you know, they're just literally warts and all sort of making of uh, behind the scenes things on those films. Yeah, I, with me, I mentioned before the Back to the Future books, I think that thinking back, they, they were more, they were going to be warts and all. They were very much sort of production skill stills and, and, and yeah. sort of very watered down. I went, I'm going to go down the autobiography route and two of the key ones for me were um, Chris Reeve's Still Me, which a book he wrote sort of after his accident. Uh, and very much told uh, his story of, of becoming an actor, a job in actor, and, and sort of his experiences up until the point whereby obviously he had his accident and, and then beyond. Likewise, Lucky Man by Michael J. Fox. Mm. Would, you know, there's a surprise I pick a Michael J. Fox book, but Lucky Man, I read those two books. I forget which one I read first, but I read them back to back. And was the, there a lot of pollen in the air when you were reading them? There, there, there was, there, there was, <laughs> there was. And, and, and they were they're very, they, they, they work very well together. They are very sort of. Uh, you know, very interesting and very sort of heart-wrenching uh, accounts of, of sort of tragic circumstances yeah, yeah. to fall upon very popular icons. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, yeah, Richard Priest via email asks, The more I listen to Film 89, the more it feels like I'm hanging out with film-loving mates as I get to know your likes and dislikes. Oh, oh that's lovely. I know, I know, bless him. What other vices and passions do you guys have aside from film and television? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, Rich, do you want to go first? Well, it's going to be music for me. It is. It is. Pat Boone. <laughs> it's the Hammond organ. I appreciate. No, it's um. Yeah, yeah. Music. It's it's Queen, Elvis, all sort of classic, sort of rock and roll. I'm 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 as passionate for my films as what I am for those sort of music and being uh, as I say an OCD collector. I've got to have every sort of album. I've got to have every sort of um, you know EP, every sort of variation. Let's re-release it. Uh, you know, a, a digitally remastered version. Richard, can I have your money, please? Basically, that, that's it. I'm terrible. But yeah, that, that would be advice for me. Mm. Yeah, music, I'd say I'm a big fan. But I, nine times out of ten, I think my love of film is influenced my love of music. Because I'll listen to a song and I think, they should have used this and so-and-so. Yeah. Or I'll think, oh, this would be great if they put it in a film about this. You know? so but you I, struggled on the question that we had a few, a few episodes back whereby it was. <laughs> you did. If you could pick a song yeah, just know, throw up in a I film... Know. <laughs> well, I had too many. That was the thing. You, know, you don't want to come across as a git by saying, oh, they should have used this in this film. And I was going to use Queen, but I know you love Queen. So I don't want to... <laughs> Obviously, with me, is boxing as well. I'm a massive boxing fan. I'll, you know, pretty much virtually every Saturday night, you can find me watching TV, Sky Sports, Box Nation, or... Now we've got, you know, a plethora You're not just saying as a couch potato, you are a former boxer yourself. I've seen you box and... Uh, it was I. But <laughs> I had a go like... It was my Rocky moment. <laughs> I was in the crowd like, yeah, yeah. You'd have to kiss me afterwards. So yeah, me. I was, I was, I was going with the, the emotions. Of yeah, the yeah. Like I say, most of the time with that, and uh, you know, I suppose we're all the same. We were all family men, and we spend time with our kids mm-hmm. and uh, enjoy. Well, like, no, I like a twat for not mentioning my kids. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say, yeah, perhaps you went on edge that. Aside from that, it's just uh, cocaine and hookers, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's, that's cool. You can leave that bit in. <laughs> I'm a man of simple tastes, like gunpowder. And gasoline. <laughs> yeah, it'd probably be um, better for me to ingest those things because I'm actually a man of quite extreme taste. And one of those is I'm just obsessed with uh, chilies and extreme hot sauces. They're killing me. I can't stop eating them. But yeah, I've always thought you were dead on the inside. Uh, yeah, anyway. <laughs> well, I, even, I even tweeted out a hotheads tweet today um, about stuff I'd received in the post is probably killing me. Um, I, I'm also yeah, family man. You know, like Rich probably wishes well, he'd said now yeah. dealers. Yeah, so you know, aside from uh, you know my you know our incredibly stressful uh, 
daily uh, jobs that you know we're not going to go into yet. You speak for um, yourselves. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I like ales and beers of all variety and single malt whiskey, which is again probably killing me. But you know, I need quite a stressful life. I need my vices. But on the you know the more sort of fitness side of things, I'm well into my surfing and mountain biking. And my mountain biking again is something that's probably going to kill me because. I just, you know, when I'm on the bike, I, I tend to like not full, sort of take risks, and um, yeah, it, it's getting quite dangerous. And uh, well, I, I still, I still like the sparring normal on blood thinners, so uh, that's all right. Yeah, <laughs> don't worry about it. So as much as I'm a bit of a daredevil, I, I think I'm, you know, quite sedate compared to some people. But yeah, I do uh, like getting out on the bike. So yeah, it is nice to talk about something other than films. But uh, yeah. it doesn't happen very often. I've, I've got to be honest. Every now and then, and I can't think of any subject in particular. Every now and then, we'll we'll talk about something that's not film related. And it's quite nice, and I'll include the late Jim Cotton in this as well, that we'll all come together and have similar ideals, but yeah. it must seem really boring to everyone else, but predominantly, that's all we bloody talk about. Is it is, because television. it's our common thread. It's yeah. just like, you know, the fact but that's that... But that's, that's not to say we can't have conversations. No, you know, we frequently have conversations about other things. I mean, yeah. 90% of the time, I would say at least conservatively, 90% of the time, we are talking about saying this, film, comic, TV. I'm sure it's got nothing to do with the site that we, you know, with the fact that we're part of a a film website and a a movie podcast. But even before that. Yeah, you know, you're right. That's, but it's all led to this, isn't it? Yeah. It's all led to this. You you meet people who've got like a common interest, be it, you know, like sad that we may sound. I've got friends and what we all talk about on social media and whatever is, is whiskey. You know, I used to write for a whiskey website long before I wrote about film. I think it's like with Jim, it's mainly the sort of films he would talk about and just his love of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, yeah, thank you very much for that, Richard. It's, it's nice to have a non-film-related question. So, um, I think we'll wrap things up there. We've uh, I'll take this opportunity now to hopefully say sorry to everyone who doesn't like comic book films. We've talked again at length about comic book films simply because of the release schedule this year. Hopefully now you can have a bit of a break. You're not going to hear us talking about Marvel or DC films now for quite a long time. Yeah, I can't see Aquaman figuring... I can't just see us doing a special on Aquaman. Yeah, I, I I, don't think we're going to, to be honest. But, um, you know, it's, it's not because of any Marvel DC bias. It's just because I... Look shit. It doesn't look that good, to be honest with you. <laughs> Rich, where can uh, people find you uh, on social media? I'm on Twitter, uh, Richard underscore Roberts. And, uh, yeah, I, I casually look at Facebook occasionally, but it's not worth it. Papers written on. Oh, <laughs> controversial. Neil, where can people find you if they want to check uh, you can, Again, you can find me on the site. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Neil underscore Gaskin, or you can find me on Instagram at Neil's Picks. Facebook, I'm on, but you won't find me. And that's about it, really, yeah. Yeah, you can find me on uh, Twitter and Facebook at Sky Movies, and you can find us all, if you want to get hold of us in general, anyone from the site at or the podcast, just message us on Facebook or Twitter at Film89UK. I've got to say thank you very much for the continued support we're getting. Aside from the you know the, you know the first year birthday celebrations where you know we had lots of really nice tweets off people, the podcast and the site are going from strength to strength, and it's because of you guys out there. Thank you very much for all your suggestions for future episodes, for your listener questions, and for your top three picks. It's really really appreciated. We hope that we're going to continue to give you a, a, an informative edutainment podcast you know there's a a lot of other movie podcasts out there we know we're just in a sea of of, of podcasts and thank you very much for picking ours hopefully we're going to be a little bit more than light entertainment for you although continually entertaining no that's nice to know I was going to say if you like other podcasts as well listen to them as well that'll be oh please do we've got a massive list of movie podcasts that we could recommend you know aside from our our good friends over at Wrong Real there's, there's a hell of a lot of them out there we're not trying to be the best. We're just trying to enjoy ourselves and trying to, you know... Yeah, just having fun. 
Yeah, we're having fun. Hopefully we're enjoying you are too. And I, I gotta be honest, that one comment about like feeling like you were meeting old friends now, that's a lovely comment to hear. I think, yeah, I, I really think that, that, that is the the basis, you know, one of the key themes for us, isn't we're it? Not... It's a case of we're, we are just mates talking about films. and. But uh, yeah, please uh, recommend us to a friend, like, subscribe, and uh, if you could, please leave, leave us a, a positive review on iTunes. I don't know what we've got lined up for future episodes. They're probably a little bit mixed up. Not yes. sure what order they're going to be released in. Yeah. But either way, stay safe, stay happy, and more importantly, stay classy.